Welcome to the podcast It's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee. We have Cannondale and Trainer Road's Amber Pierce. Good morning. We also have, uh, man, a new team now, Hannah. Uh, you're on, you race for Pivot, and I can't remember the other sponsors. Can you tell us Hannah Finchamps with us? Yeah, I've started my own privateer program with the co-title sponsors Pivot Cycles and DT Swiss. Sweet. Oh, you're going to have solid wheels. DT is the best. And then we also have our CEO, Nate Pearson. What's up, Nate? Hello. What's up, John? Nate, I think, hey, there we go. Yeah, for some reason, the audio was delayed. Good to have you. Uh, People are really excited to have Nate back on the podcast. It's been a while. um, Obviously. Yeah. (laughs) Just joking. Sorry. Uh, Some people hate me. And then when I say things like that, they hate me more. And it's like, it's like, I, I, I know that I'm doing it and they hate me more. So that's okay. But some people love you and you say that stuff, they love you even more. So at least Amber's here to balance it out. They're like, oh, (laughs) just let Amber talk more. (laughs) Can't please everybody. You know, that's why we have four people. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Uh, Hannah, can we talk a bit more about your team? So you're going to be doing a privateer effort. And I got to ask a question because gravel racing is becoming, becoming more and more like road, right? Uh, in terms of the people, yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm going to hit you with the hard one first. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Hot button issues here, but with more like, uh, road experienced riders coming in and just more riders at a higher level in general, it's becoming more like road, right? In the sense that you're going to have probably bigger groups toward the front, typical road tactics, that sort of stuff. Yet there's a trend for everybody to be a privateer on the gravel side and to do it solo, which from a sponsorship sense, I think makes a lot of sense, but from a race tactics thing, are you, do you, did you think about that? Or are you concerned about that with gravel racing feeling like I'm going to be a lone rider and I might be racing against people that are working as teams? Yeah, I think, uh, it's not something I'm worried about at this point. It could be something that things trend towards in the future and that could become another element. But I think right now, you know, unless a whole world tour team comes in with five, six, eight riders, you know, I think one or two riders, it's just so difficult to work together in the gravel scene because of how much climbing, because the technical aspects, because of mechanicals that I think that it's probably more talk, uh, about working together than actually working together out there. So, uh, we'll, we'll see, but I think, I think that's at least where we're at right now. Now, Hannah, like what is a privateer? Yeah. A privateer is someone who gets all of their own sponsors together and through the support of those sponsors creates their budget for the season and their salary. So it's basically like running your own one-man team or for people less familiar with the cycling industry, it's like running your own business. So privateers can actually make be more successful than somebody on a team in terms of financial outcome, correct? Absolutely. So Hannah, everyone listening, if they want to support you, I'm guessing they should follow you on Instagram, right? Because that's a big way to get more people. So what is your Instagram handle so we can all follow you? Yeah, my Instagram handle is Hannah underscore Finchamp. I mean, what kind of content do we get there from you? Um, I like to provide a variety of content. So the two main things are what I'm doing, where I'm at, my races. And then the other side is I like to be really informative. So I try and have a lot of my coaching aspect on there too. So training tips and um, just ideas for how you can improve your own training and much like trainer road, how you can get faster. Awesome. I think that's a overlap between our audience. So go follow her. 
Yeah, it was one of the main reasons why I initially was like, hey, we need to have Han on the podcast because she provides awesome training tips. So it's perfect for that. Um, I'm excited to see how you do. I Were you on the podcast where we talked about which uh, Lifetime Grand Prix event you're looking forward to the most? I can't remember if you were on that. Ep- okay, yeah. Which one was it? Was it Unbound or Leadville or? Leadville, yeah. Leadville. Yeah, I'm really excited for Leadville. Last year was my first time at that race and I think – it was a lot of fun, but also I just feel like I learned so much in that small, you know, just that singular opportunity that I can't even imagine, you know, the difference of going in with, with all of that experience and seeing what else I'll learn this time. Cause I feel like it's probably endless with that race. What mistakes do you feel like you made at that race last year? Like uh, if you were like telling somebody else, because Leadville just this week, the lottery announcements went out, right? So everybody's really excited that got into Leadville. If you were advising them and telling them some things to keep in mind, it could also not be mistakes, but things you did well. Uh, what would you tell those people? Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, at least in terms of trying to get a specific placement, the race really doesn't start until Columbine. And so I I think I did go out a little bit fast, but it wasn't even so much power or effort as it was the mental effort that I was putting out. You know, where am I at? Who am I with? What group am I in? How's my power? How is this? How is that? And really, I feel like that whole way out to Columbine, it should have just been like blank mind, blank slate. Are you eating? Are you drinking? Are you eating? Are you drinking? And then once I got to Columbine, that's when I really needed those mental bullets to follow wheels and to be willing to put out those efforts, not, you know, on St. Kevin's and all of that when it's like you're trying to follow every single wheel that passes, you know, like I think just staying really relaxed mentally at the beginning will be my focus this year. Mm. That, I, I super sound advice, Nate, you did it too. I don't know if you have anything to add to, for all the folks that just recently got into Leadville. I mean, I wasn't racing it, so it's a different, it's a different kind of tactics that I was like using. You were racing the, for the win you're saying, but you were still, yeah. you're, you're racing it. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. yeah going as fast as I can, but it, uh, just what Hannah said, exactly right. Like on, uh, St. Kevin's, which is the first climb, it's very packed. A lot of people would freak out and someone like, let's just they try to push through people because it's it's like where I was and I think it was right behind red. Uh, I forgot the crowd not, uh, color, but <clears throat> it's packed shoulder to shoulder and no one can get through besides a couple pass holes and they just try to push through and then everyone else goes, <laughs> oh, they're going to get there and they want to push through. It's not worth it. Like you uh, it's and if you go hard before Columbine, like, I mean, even Columbine, you should be you know, for the age group or like me doing it. You're going to really just, uh, as Hannah said, eat and drink and pace all the way. And if you have any, like, there should be no surging. There should be no uh, digging deep, maybe at the top of Columbine a little bit, but like on the way back, you, you're only halfway through the race there. On the way back is when you can dig deep. It's that last like power, uh, power line. That's when you can dig deep. And then after that, like after power line, you think it's done, but it is not done. There's like, mm-hmm. how much time's left? For me, it was like two hours. It was a long time. It felt I think forever. it's about two hours. I remember getting to the top of Powerline and being like, I made it. Yeah. <laughs> for two hours, I was screaming, I made it in my mind. And eventually that kind of was less exciting. <laughs> those, so those two hours were where I fell apart and had the hardest time. They were the hardest two hours. And oh. I could have uh, been, yeah, drank more and there's a whole bunch of things. Listen to the other podcast. <laughs> I kind of rode in fear of those two hours, the whole race, or maybe not in fear, but like respecting them. Like 
I knew that at that point, also there are no aid stations after that. There's a neutral aid down by Turquoise Lake. But for a lot of people listening to this, when you get there, they may not have any more Coke. They may not have, like when I went through and I finished just over eight hours and I went through and they didn't have any Coke. They hardly had any water left. Um, they had fact, warm they water were, for me. Yeah. Had some hot water. Like, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So like you should probably plan, I don't know, maybe they'll do it differently this year, but it's probably safe to say that just assume that you won't have aid support after the bottom of power line. And then you, cause that's like the last spot where you can get aid. And then at that point, it's a long way back. And that final climb up to the finish is way longer than you think too. Like once you turn off the railroad tracks and you're on that dirt road and then it's just, and then you turn again. Oh, it's, it's long. It's long. I remember that part. Sorry, Hannah. I remember doing that part and being like, okay, this is a good pace. And looking down and it was 80 Watts. And I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> just looking. Yeah. I, did it feel like 80 though? That's the question. No, it felt like, like I was like, I'm like 270. I like good sweet spot. Right. Uh, it's good. Right. <laughs> it's all day pace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fell apart. Uh, one thing that uh, is very true uh, that you said, Hannah, is about saving yourself for going out on Kevin's. I got, I had to have been passed by over 20 riders. Uh, and even and people were recognizing me and they're like, Oh, coach Jonathan, you're going slow here. But I was just sticking with everybody else in the middle. There are other people oh, and they're no. like, you're going to have a terrible day. You're going to be caught behind everybody. And like, you should not be way back here. You should be up there. And I was like, I'm just sitting in because right now I'm trying to cap myself at nothing greater than 240 Watts because you're so high in elevation. And there's so much excitement. It's really easy to blow yourself up, but you don't blow yourself up. Like you sprint as hard as you can. You blow yourself up by riding sweet spot or threshold for too long in the beginning. And then that uh, makes you nuke. So I stayed in there and by the time, and so uh, the way that the race works is you drop out of town and then you go up St. Kevin's, you drop down a road descent, and then you go up Sugarloaf, and then you drop down power line. By the time I got to the top of power line before the descent, I passed every one of those people that was like, oh, you're going too slow. And I passed so many other people. Like I was, I moved way up and it was all because I just stayed within myself. I didn't gas it. I didn't blow myself up. I didn't like turn it on. I just stayed within myself and everybody already starts to blow up before power line. And the other spot where I see a lot of people blow up because there's this uh, brand uh, that exists for Leadville that like it's a road race. So you really need to find a group and you need to trade poles and you need to do rotating pace lines. And if you don't, then you're, you know, you're losing out. And what almost always happens with amateur racers back there, I don't know if it's the same at the pro level, Hannah, but when they form a pace line, they go way too hard. So there's this thing that you feel like, oh, well, I got to find a group to ride with, but you need to find the right group to ride with, or you need to ride within yourself. But riding within yourself is the main thing. Cause it's really easy to roll in with a group and suddenly you're trading poles at threshold or above up at that elevation. And that happens very often after that power line descent. Cause you get onto road, you have some speed underneath you and everybody feels really excited. And so it's, you just really, the, the people that are measured and stay within themselves for as long as possible, they end up making up so much time in those final two hours or final four hours of the race really after Columbine. So. 
Good advice. I'm, I'm excited. I, I kind of want to go to that one this year, but it's definitely not going to work out with uh, family time structure. I think our little one's probably going to come sometime around then, but it's such a cool event, like the, the feeling around the event too. And what all the athletes are accomplishing. It's, it's super cool. It's a significant event. So that's cool. Excited. Have anything to say to that, Hannah, what John said, please disagree with him. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I'm in total agreement. I'm, I feel like that's where I made a big mistake was actually across the flats this past year, because that was such, that was such a big focus of mine going up St. Kevin's. I have to be in the group. I have to be in the group. And for the women, especially we want to be with the fast men too. So now, you know, I'm trying to like maybe even tack onto a group ahead of my ability level because I want to be in this fast group of rotating men. And then you get to the flat and you're trying to motivate your group. And I was like bridging gaps between groups, trying to find people who <laughs> wanted to work. And by the time I got to combine, I was like, man, I've spent a lot of mental bullets, but yeah, just completely agree. And complete. it's just such a fun event standing on that star line. Like the, um, I think the emotion is palpable and that's what's so cool is mm-hmm. you can feel how much everyone has put into being there. A lot of events, it's like, yeah, people are there. Some people haven't trained, you know, they're just there to do it. Leadville, like every single person has a goal that day. And that's really cool. It's too scary not to train for. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's really hard. I have two things to say. First, on that power line descent, John got a top 10 all time on Strava. Wow. I know they graded it. Yeah. But still. I just had, but the big difference I think is, well, I mean, there was traffic. I was, but it was pretty clear, you know, so I, I was able to just let it roll. The year that I did it, it was like almost like single track down. And if you just were to bomb it, you would have died or get a flat. Uh, (laughs) But John, I think you just got to go like 40 something miles per hour straight down. I don't know how you do that. Yeah, there were rain ruts and stuff still, but I just uh, looking far ahead is able to just pick up and go over them rather than trying to. Because the scary part is like you kind of have to remember. So if you're at this race and you have the skills to be able to hop over something, it does help you quite a lot in the, those rain rut scenarios, but it's really easy to forget that we're that good, especially if we see other riders in front of us not doing something. And suddenly we think, okay, that's the line. That's exactly what I have to do. Amber's mentioned this before with like getting tossed into the pro Peloton and like, you really have to hold your own, be confident, know what you can do. And it's the same thing with mountain biking. It's just instead of rubbing shoulders with people, when somebody takes a line, you need to be objective about that. You need to say, is that the right line? So in this case, everyone was doing the goat pathing, like you're talking about Nate, where they're trying to like find their way around the ruts. Yeah. And I just looked at it and I said, well, I can bunny hop so I can just go over that rut. I don't need to. And if I carry my speed, yeah. it'll be safer than me trying to break, turn, lose traction, do all that stuff. So my year for Powerline was much different than yours, though. It totally. Was, it's it was like not ours was smooth. Hop, you could hop. Yeah. And two, um, in my year. Some people did on Powerline try to jump some things. And one guy who I knew, very skilled, he like burped his tire and did something and he his race was over. Uh, mm. It was something that he did. I forget what it was, but basically he, he, he jumped something too hard and he didn't hit a mechanical and then his race was over. And that's so, such a shame where you get frustrated sitting behind someone and maybe you lose 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not that long, the descent. Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, and you want to be safe too. And the second part is I also went pretty slow and I think I was in a corral pretty slow, but on the flats, I actually bridged up like three groups. The first group I was in, it was like, 
I don't know, 40 people. And I got to the front and I tried to pull and there's just a huge gap behind me. And I'm like, let's go. And then I pulled up to um, uh, Eldon's group. Of, uh, what's his name? His uh, Eldon Nelson, the fat cyclist. Fat cyclist, yeah, that's right. Best guy. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, well, I dropped him. <laughs> just kidding. No, he, I, just, <laughs> I didn't drop him. He was doing his own pace and I paced up to the next group. And then I found a group that was okay. But the key point is when I bridged, it wasn't like a road race bridge. It was like uh, I had a sweet spot level and i'm like okay i will go sweet spot in here i won't go threshold and this was reduced for elevation and i will just do that moving up to it and if not i was going to be you know like below endurance sitting in a draft like too slow Mm -hmm. uh and that's why i did that and it worked out well because i found a group we changed poles and i didn't uh overexert myself so there i'm just saying you can be in a group that's too slow if you're if you're in in the pace line you're doing 80 watts and your threshold's 350 probably not a group yeah, I was, our group was, I was doing, it was, I pulled through the first time and I was like, I'm doing 330 Watts. Like my FTP up here is like 240, like <laughs> up at that <laughs> elevation. I was like, yeah, this is ridiculous. And I just let him go. You know, you you might find yourself in any number of situations there, but I would, I would much rather be riding by myself rather than riding with a group that's pushing me over my pace. A hundred percent, especially up there at elevation. Cause otherwise, boy, it's just going to be a long day. I'm excited to see how, uh, your close friend, Amber, and also friend of the podcast, Laura King does too, Laura Cameron King, cause she's going to be racing it again. She loves that race. It's one of her favorite races. Last year, she had a, a bit of like some frustration in the race too. I think she had some difficulties with mechanicals perhaps. I can't remember, but I'm excited to see how she does. It'll be cool. This, yeah, she's super this strong. Yeah. stupid podcast, like I was like, never again, Leadville. We start talking about it, and I'm like, mm, that's kind of good. <laughs> like, that sounds like a fun challenge. Yeah, I could have done a little better, but yeah. no. Like, but let's not talk about it ever again. <laughs> Sorry, Nate. <laughs> we know it's a good podcast when like it motivates you. When you said, "I will never do it," and then you're like, "There's actually something magical actually, about it." It's like iconic. <laughs> yeah, Amber. Ooh. <laughs> Oh, do you, do you, do you want to do, do it ever, Amber? I mean, you've, you've got your little one. You've still got like some time before I'm sure you'd want to take something on like this, but do you, does that event interest you at all? Yeah. I mean, not above others in particular, but I, I, mm-hmm. I am excited. Like I've talked about before when we were training for Cape Epic, um, I, I really like the idea of trying new disciplines and just learning, learning something kind of from the ground up again. Cause I love that process. So I, I could see that being a really fun goal. Yeah, for sure. There are a lot of racers that are going to be doing this race that have never done it before, which is rare at Leadville for the pro athletes. I'm talking about for the pro athletes, you typically have the, the leaders have done it before. And then you may have one or two newcomers that are up in that group, but because of the lifetime grand prix, it's going to be like all over the place. So I wonder if athletes are going to be overzealous and really blow themselves up because typically how that race always develops is that there's a front group and that front group stays together until Columbine. It starts to separate there. And then the race is decided on power line. Basically that's typically how it's decided, but it might be really different this year just because of new racers, not fully knowing, um, they may <laughs> go really crazy in the beginning. So be fun to watch. Can't wait. Uh, okay. Let's get into, this is our, and I actually have this written down our deep dive ish section, but if you're joining us on YouTube, I want to thank you really quick and ask you to give it a thumbs up right here and subscribe on our YouTube channel. So then that way you can catch more content. And if you give it a thumbs up, that means more cyclists will find it, uh, especially even now as we're doing it live. So go ahead and do that. Uh, okay. Dell says, I love the podcast and have listened for years. And he says he's a five-star raider. I was disappointed last mm-hmm. week to, 
<laughs> yes, exactly. You can leave those on iTunes, the Android, uh, geez, what is it? The Google Play Store. Uh, and all, wherever you find your podcast, you can leave ratings and we appreciate five stars. If we don't deserve five, then just let us know what we can do to earn the five and we'd be happy to, to improve. That's what we want to do. Okay. Dell says, I was disappointed last week to not hear a more in-depth discussion on goals and particularly disappointed to not hear some wildly ambitious, but of course still, and he says in quotes, realistic goals from coach Chad. Can we press harder on Chad? He said he has no goals, yes. but that simply cannot be. That's not the simultaneous 40 pull up Ironman completing 40 KTT national championship coach Chad that we know and love. Uh, so I sent, uh, so because of how this works, I'm going to, we're going to have to do some magic here. So, uh, Maxine, can you play coach Chad's resolutions from last year? And then Amber and Nate, I sent them to you. You might want to mute your microphones while you play it, but I want uh, all of us to watch. These are coach Chad's resolutions from last year. Which brings me to my 2021 resolutions. And I omitted the S because I only have one and it's a bit of a brain buster. (laughs) So bear with me. Uh, It's to never make a new year's resolution again. (laughs) I I just don't, I don't follow through with them. So my resolution (laughs) is to never again resolve to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That sounds like Chad, and I'm glad he's uh, accepting reality now. Because uh, this is also like a reason why uh, you need a system like adaptive training to help like guide you with workouts. Because even Coach Chad's like, my eyes are bigger than my stomach. Yeah, like, let's just go high volume, <laughs> CrossFit, cycling, and weightlifting. Like, or I don't. Yeah, want to make it to the CrossFit Games simultaneously win a 40 KTT championship oh, and qualify for Boston. <laughs> and qualify for time. Boston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the same yeah. time. Solid. I do all yeah. this. Solid. Uh, and now he it, will never yeah. resolve to do anything again, as he says. <laughs> <laughs> We've officially beaten down Chad. Like, yeah, I think so. Feels pretty good. I mean, he... We love you, Chad. <laughs> we'll remind everybody, Nate shared his goals and Chad, like, just brutally tore those goals apart and dissected everything live on air when one time when Nate was sharing his goals. So, you know, Nate's just holding the Chad to the same standard. <laughs> and he said mine weren't like ambitious enough because I had process goals. And I believe we could play back the clip on another episode, but I believe I hit all my goals. Yeah. Uh, he did. Wait, from right last on. year? And then, I, and then I had a great, uh, I don't know what last year was, but this is the year that he made fun of me. Yes. Uh, the year mine was like increase my training by this amount and do this. And I actually did, I did what I said I was going to do. And then I had a great year. There you go. I think I went from five to two that year. You did. And yeah. It was yeah. a wonderful year. Eat it, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> so He's I'm not gonna, listening, so I say whatever I want. <laughs> last year's resolutions, honestly, a lot happened last year. Amber, you had a baby. Nate, you went, yeah. you went through a divorce and it, it completely altered your life. Uh, you, you went yes. through a lot of challenging times. Uh, Amber, I mean, it's, it's funny to watch it every year we do this. We look back and we're like, wow, like we were so fresh faced and like, we had no clue what's coming. <laughs> look how naive they were. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause Amber In was 20, 2020. I was like, I want to be cat one. I'm going to do these, these, uh, uh-huh. these races. And then, oh, there's no racing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, so Nate, Amber, you were going to focus on mountain bike skills, being your own best mm-hmm. friend. And you mentioned being your own best friend on the bike but I bet you've had a mm-hmm. whole lot of opportunity to do that off the bike too this year. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> maintaining a growth mindset. That one doesn't have to do with bikes. And that one, I'm sure that you uh, still uh, had some chances. <laughs> I mean, everything changed for you. Do you feel like any of those like stayed true or because life circumstances changed so much, you just wiped the slate clean? 
I did get a chance to work on mountain bike skills. Um, probably didn't advance as much as I had planned, but my bodybuilding program went really well. It was highly <laughs> successful. <laughs> it's true. A little so body. I'm really proud of that. There. Yeah. You know, and um, I think I think there's something to be said about being able to pivot a goal when when you need mm-hmm. to, and that was a big pivot. So <laughs> yeah. I'm really proud of that, and I actually have really been my best my own best friend on the bike, and um, that, like you said, has translated to a lot of other things, and that ties in really well with growth mindset. Um, and a lot of that really came into play in that bodybuilding program. So, um, I would say I did pretty well with that. Like aside from the, the pivot that required, you know, revisiting the mountain bike skills goal. I, I'm pretty proud of how I I handled those. Yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, looking back at mine, I don't miss your scheduled workouts. I marked them down every time I missed a workout. (laughs) I missed 11 workouts all year. So that's pretty good. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I was, and this year I feel like I had more, um, what's the term that Chad uses? Uh, I don't know, like reliable and durable fitness than I've had uh, in years. Um, and boy, I was really firing going fast, uh, in the spring. And I thought that I was super ready to win nationals, but then looking back, uh, I was going through a particularly stressful time at that point. And as a result, my recovery was suffering and I just was hitting a wall with my training And I was so focused on trying to hit my marks. I was continuing doing it, but I was just seeing my performance drop and drop and drop, um, tried to pivot, uh, but then, uh, before nationals and came into nationals a bit overcooked. We have this, we have these really cool features that I can't talk about. And I'm going to be really vague about right now, but we have these really cool features. And I looked back at what I did and it helps me understand if I should have, you know, um, maybe skipped things or not, uh, when I was going through or where my fitness was at, at different times. I'll talk about them. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, it was cool to see that, uh, it was, I had really great fitness at one point. And then when I came into nationals, uh, it, it wasn't uh, as good because I was, boy, I was hurt because that was one of my big goals is that I wanted to do, I wanted to win national championships. I missed the podium by three seconds, which was really hard and just like uh, soul crushing. Um, but, and there was no way I was going to win though, seeing the people that showed up, uh, that year, but just the same, I got really close and it kind of hurt me. Uh, that was pretty tough to swallow. But the other thing that I, so I had, don't miss your scheduled workouts. I missed 11. I feel like that's pretty darn good. Uh, the other thing, uh, outcome win nationals, eh, I tried, I got to have those big outcome goals to reach for, for me that helps. Mm -hmm. And then the last one I have was measure food for the first week of every month. And I did that. And I felt like that was really helpful. And once again, all that does is that helps me kind of like reset my guidelines on nutrition, how much I'm eating, what portions am I eating? But then also like the quality of food that I'm eating just helps me refocus. I can't do it for the rest of the month though, because it's too much for some people it's fine, but boy, it's a lot of stress and a lot of time. And also like undue anxiety that you have to apply to food, which I already have a complicated relationship with as is. So it's, it can get out of hand, but the one week really helps me just stay in a healthy spot with it. John, while you were measuring your food, what did you learn? Uh, so the main thing that I learned wasn't, so your mileage may vary right? You may be in a spot where you aren't realizing, uh, what you're eating and the macros you're eating and everything else. But for me, it was more about quantity and what I was eating. It kept reminding me the fact that I tend to just balloon and let portions go bigger than they need to be for what I'm actually eating. 
So for me, in order to maintain like the race weight, and it's not restricting, it's just giving myself right where I need to be to be balanced in terms of what I'm eating. That was the main thing. The other thing that I've learned with that too is that when I measure my food, I tend to eat uh, more raw ingredients that I can measure, less like joint prepared things. And as a result, I also feel like I eat healthier when I do that as well. I'm bringing in more vegetables, more whole grains, more stuff like that. Uh, just the basics. So that's what it helps me with. Uh, so uh, can, yeah, Nate. I wanted to talk, you just mentioned a feature. And so I did a, I did a, uh, survey in the forum about what do y'all want me specifically to talk about upcoming features or just surprise you when they happen? Because sometimes we talk about a feature and people go, well, now that I know about this and it's not out, I am physically upset. Like <laughs> I am, I hate you. We now. see this regularly. <laughs> yeah. But the, the result and those people then post on the forum and they post a lot. Like they'll go in all these, like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? But I posted in the, uh, the forum about this and it was 90% of the people said, yeah, I want to know what's coming. And sometimes they can actually give us ideas and they're okay that they know there's a roadmap and just like, let's keep giving updates. You're working towards it. I trust you guys that or you all that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to give a couple updates and stuff. FTP estimation. We have the product manager here doing it. Amber, you want to tell oh. everybody where FTP <laughs> estimation is? And so what that is, instead of doing a ramp test, you click a button and it tells you your FTP. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Actually, and, and, Nate, and it we uses should say, machine learning. It doesn't. So go ahead. Instead of it's not just instead of taking a ramp test. It's, in, it's instead of taking a test. Like if you don't yes. want to assess your FTP, you can use this instead. And let me let me before Amber goes. Like the idea of this, this is how I think it'll be in the future. 80% of people will use it this way. There'll be a 20% of people who are, we call them data scientists, who just really want to do the test. They enjoy the test. Um, They don't have any issues going all out. It's very repeatable for them. They never have bad tests. Um, Those people can still do it, and we're still going to leave that. But for the majority of people, they're going to love, myself included, I'm not going to do RAM tests anymore. I'd rather just do FTP estimation. Uh, And also, some other products have done that where they can tell your FTP, but ours is a much, much different approach and takes into account a lot more things. Uh, it uses machine learning. What you do is you, you, um, you do certain like calculations based on someone's fitness. Like, do a whole bunch of them. How much secret sauce are we going to spill? I'm not giving away a lot. I'm just talking about machine learning. And what you do is, so you, you classify people different ways and maybe you do I think the first version of it had like 80 different ways or something. And then since we have a history of people doing FTP tests and we know afterwards their workouts afterwards, so we can actually like confirm, is this a correct FTP for them? Cause that's super important. Yes. We then run that through and this machine learns these things. And based on the amount of data you have, the machine has a level of confidence and we have low, medium and high confidence. Basically, if you're low, we're not going to give you a score, meaning you don't have enough data recently. Um, but if you're medium high and even medium, it gives like a bell curve, but we're just displaying what the peak is, the bell curve. And then when you see that data, if there is any adjustment, adaptive training, then afterwards adjust you into it. So even if it's off by four Watts or something, which can be a lot for people within like two workouts, like you're back at exactly where you should be mm-hmm. and your training is, uh, consistent and awesome. And you can actually then, instead of doing a ramp test that day, get a little more TSS and have a full workout. So Amber's team's doing that. She has actually more features on top of this coming, but there's an MVP that we're going to get out to early access, which you can turn on on the website. But Amber, what what's the status? Uh, we are close. So keep your eyes peeled, your ears open. Um, this is coming pretty soon. And I just want to touch on that because it is a really different approach. Um, and 
what we look at is your training history. So your personal training history and your personal biometrics. And those are the things that we look at in the model. Other models will take like a capacitive effort. So an all out effort, and they'll use, they'll plug that into an estimation model and then estimate your FTP based off from that. Um, so the bell curve that, that Nate's mentioning isn't a bell curve of like general population, but it's really like it, this is, this is much more specific to you as an individual. And we're taking into account more than just one effort. So um, the the goal with this is, as we always <laughs> talked about, and Chad has famously pro- proclaimed on Beers with Chad, it's not a test, it's an assessment. And the goal with taking these tests periodically throughout your training plan is to make sure that you're training at the appropriate intensity level and that you're hitting that your power targets are appropriate for you in each workout. So our goal with this is to create an easy button for you to update um, your progress and your fitness to make sure that the workouts that you're doing are productive and to make sure that you can actually be uh, completing those productive level those workouts that are of a productive level of difficulty um, that you can be completing those as soon as you're ready to. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're not exactly calling it the easy button, but go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm ruining marketing's day. Uh, <laughs> so you want to say kind of more about that or can I go release more things? Uh, can I just, uh, what you, say ask, you listen to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Can I first ask Hannah if you dread testing as much as everybody else, Hannah? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of testing, but not just because I don't like the testing, but because I don't like the way it interrupts my training flow. You know, at least for me, I feel like in order to get a good test, I have to rest at minimum one day going into it. Then I test. And then, you know, like Nate just said, you don't necessarily have a big TSS day out of that. So it takes up at least two days of my training. And me as like that type A athlete, I'm like, oh my gosh, two days. You want me to give up two days? You know, (laughs) so I'm really stoked that you guys are doing this. I think that's, it's, it's awesome. It's going to be really cool. That brings up a whole, one sec. I was going to say, that brings up a really cool part of this feature. When you hit the button to update your FTP, you'll get a custom, well, you'll get a replacement workout, which first it will be customized to your plan. Um, but yeah, you'll get a replacement workout. That way you actually get a workout on the day, a full workout, not just our typical 20 minute effort on the ramp test. So less anxiety, you get more training, um, keep that flow going, keep your cadence going. Should be a good thing. That replacement workout now is I think hard coded to guard Goddard at the moment. And then, but in the future, yeah, yeah, it's, we have a, another one to update it. So the idea of yeah. this and why we release features is what is the minimum value we can get out? And then we add extra value incrementally to it rather than like, let's wait for hundred percent of the value you can think of and then launch it all at once. That's nobody wants that. Mm-hmm. Um, Hannah, the other part that you, you brought up, which is so I hear this all the time from friends and uh, people on Instagram who message me is who are some of my friends? Uh, <laughs> they say it's the mental stress though of a test. Oh, gosh, it's like a yeah. race for some, yeah. for some yeah. people. It's like, I have seriously, especially when we did it live. Like the night before, you don't sleep. Like it's a race. Oh. Uh, What's well, ruined me? You have anxiety like, about it. Those live things that we did, like ever since then, I can't get a good test on the ramp result because my brain is broken with it. Like I have a complicated and problematic relationship with it. That's just, and and you might find yourself in a situation with that where, like Hannah said, you feel like you have to be really fresh to get a training benchmark that benefits you, right? The moving mm-hmm. forward, because that's the end goal. Like honestly. Who cares what format you use? Who cares whatever it else, whatever else it is. You just want to have a training benchmark that gives you good training. Like what Amber said, like that's the main goal. So in this case, it can be just 
so relieving to athletes that struggle with test anxiety, absolutely one of them, uh, to just be able to get that update and it will, it will update you as you go throughout your training. Um, super cool. It's awesome. And if hey, you love so, the Ram test, you can still do it. You can still do it. If you love the 20 minute, <laughs> yeah. you can do that. If you love the two by eight, we're not going to leave that. you out. <laughs> yep. You could do an hour, uh, an hour at threshold if you want. Yep. <laughs> totally. However you wish. Or you can just and plug laughs. in whatever number you want. Yeah. <laughs> that was ridiculous. <laughs> okay. And then uh, next thing I'm going to spoil, uh, and we talked oh. about this, but is the FTP prediction. So it uses the same system, but it looks ahead in your training history or your, your uh, training plan. And what we're going to do is show it for future ramp test and future races. So on your career page, you have a list. And based on what's on your training plan, we will predict what your FTP will be on those, um, which is very interesting. And uh, that is also machine learning. Sometimes for some people, like mid volume is a higher FTP increase than high volume, which is very interesting. Um, there's more, of course, as you, it is a range and it's an estimate. And the closer you get to it, the more accurate it is. But it's still kind of, uh, it's super cool and it's motivating too. And, you know, as we get, how we did this, train this model too, is the same way as we looked in the past, we tried to estimate it and then machine learning tries to get closer and closer to it. Um, but that is also Amherst team. That is after we get the FTP estimation done, we'll do the FTP prediction. Um, we might have a different branded uh, word for this, but Amber, that's that's a few ways out, correct? Yeah, that's a little bit further off, but the... Um the ability to replace ramp tests with our estimation tool is coming soon. And if you're interested in that, I would sign up as quickly as possible for it because we will have some fast follow updates to that, each of which um, will be cooler than the next. <laughs> cooler than the, the previous. Oh, man. The next thing, guys, I think I saw Amber's team do this. I saw this yesterday, but this is in Plan Builder. Every mm-hmm. day of the week, so Plan Builder, you have low, medium, high, which you get three, five, or like six days per week. You can choose the amount of time you want on each day. So let me just tell you this on a high volume plan, you could do six days a week, all 30 minutes, or you could say on this day, instead of two hours, I could only do an hour. And what this allows too is some people high is too much, medium is too low or low is too much, medium is too high, or on the weekend, I have more time, but these days I don't. And they can, they can switch it. And then adaptive training gets the right workouts for you inside of that, which is amazing. And then you can use our workout alternative. And if you want to switch it individually in a day, you can. So this allows you to build a much more custom plan for the volume that actually lives into your life. And then when you put that in with the FTP prediction, it will actually show you how that then impacts it in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, yeah, is that in master Amber? Is that, that's your team, right? Or is that David's team? Yeah. Yeah. That got merged yesterday. So that's coming very soon. That's really cool. And there's uh, many so more awesome. exciting Wait. things. I don't know if Nate's going to talk going. about it all. Okay. <laughs> I got nothing to lose, John. I, I, uh, I got to send like some virtual high fives to my team because they have been crushing it lately. So great job, team, if you're yeah, watching. For sure. Yeah. So please post in the chat because like the two, if you guys on the forum, if y'all like this, our engineers and our the company, the more excitement you have, the more excitement we have. And some people like, I think the the three of us that work for Trainer Road on this call, we are pretty closely connected, but there's like a, we relay messages, but the more excited you are, like it's just the whole team, the whole company likes it. So please tell your friends the next one, this is more farther out. And this has not even been, this is in alf like proof of concept, I would say, but this is like what everybody wants. Well, two, two things we talked about outside workouts is workout levels two to get that in to adjust levels. That's pretty close. Um, the next one is 
uh, based off of Squid Games. <laughs> uh, like you know what I'm going to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's you're that's what you're referring to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. One the of my project favorites. is called. Somebody just said, wondering if we should ready to pull the plug on Nate's mic. That's what Peter would say. No, we'll just say it. It's, it's, <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? At least you understand our vision where we want to Ivy, go. Ivy is currently like eyes bulging out of <laughs> her head. Uh, no, go on the forum too. What happens is talk about these features. And if you don't want them, tell us. Or if you, based on, if you want another thing on top of us, tell us. Maybe there's something that we don't understand. Like have that discussion. I'll get in there and we'll have it. Just understand we can't do everything else once and we do things in an order and we try to do the minimum value product like the minimal delightful product for people and go for it and can so I it's called red light green light thing, yeah one other thing before that too you may want a feature too that like is um it's something that you've wanted for a while uh somebody just posted on the forum the other day like hey like i requested this a while ago and why hasn't it been done we also do things kind of like we prioritize we have to prioritize the things that we do and even a small little feature seems like it's super easy. Like I could just write the code and make it happen. Why can't you do it? Trainer road, but it's, there's always a whole lot more to just a small feature. And for us, we have to look at mass, like critical mass behind how many people want a feature. We have to look at if it's interrupting the, the current experience that's like, and it's causing, you know, uh, some sort of like bug or issue like that, of course. But then we also have to like keep true to our true North. Imagine if we had just like satisfied every single request over time, we wouldn't have adaptive training out right now. There's no way we would. There's like zero way. So mm-hmm. you, you have to balance this all the time with what's our true north. And that's to make the world a faster place, to make all of you faster. So we have to build toward that. And we have to make sure that we're driving, you know, moving, having meaningful projects that are moving along in that space. So, And stepping back, uh, we have a brand promise. You know, we make cyclists faster. That's what we want to do. And the two supporting ones of that are, uh, we care about the details so you don't have to. And uh, we strive to improve just like you do. So I, I think, you know, we try to talk about that all the time is the constant improvement. And the one thing that can be that can have friction is that that brand promise of we care about the details so you don't have to. And there are some people who understand training as well as anyone at Trainer Road, right? Like amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're world-class people and they're in the forum and they want specific data that would help them. And in certain cases that may not be applicable to everyone or everyone wouldn't know how to do that. And when you develop a product like this and you want to have it for, you know, hundreds of thousands of people having too much data in there can be very confusing to people. And if I could, I mean, if I could, if we had unlimited resources, it would have like a, like a pro version and just put every single piece of data in there possible and have the people that want it pay more, but hide it from everybody else. Um, we don't have the, the the bandwidth to do that. And that market probably isn't that big. But if I could like wave a wand, that's how I would do it. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, we focus for what we think is the best way to um, show you the data that you need that's motivating and then do other things like adaptive training, FTP estimation, uh, FTP prediction, and figure out what. So you can just train without having to worry about all those details and have us as the like as your coach uh, who picks workouts um, to do all these for you. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the, that's the thing. And it, it hurts because I do want everyone to, uh, to do mm-hmm. it. Second, um, 
what was it? Mash goes, Nate's like my four-year-old telling me about his day. Which is <laughs> <laughs> funny because my new therapist goes, Nate, you have ADHD. And this is my first day on a full pill of Adderall. So maybe this is the new Nate. <laughs> I'm just like, it's like, I'm going to let all the secrets out and uh, take over the podcast. Okay. So the last feature I want to talk about, which is very, very exciting. We've talked about this before, actually, with launching adaptive training, but we actually have it modeled for internal writers and uh, we're tuning the model at the moment, but it's called red light, green light. And what this is, is for every day that you train is to change the intensity of the day based on your recent training. So this can be driven two ways. This could be driven by like an HRV score um, or a whoop or something like that. If that's, if you have one of those, or it could be driven by just TSS and like intensity and how hard you went. And what it, what it currently does internally is it says red, yellow, or green. So green, do what you're supposed to do. Yellow, let's drop you down to an achievable, an easier workout that's not going to be so stressful. Red, let's do a recovery day or rest day. And then change the days in the week for that. Um, this is what I think we really need for people who mix outside and inside and people who uh, don't have the exact same schedule. And then what we want to do is feed more and more data into this project so HRV is the first one. Maybe it's sleep data, step data. Um, I can't think of other ones. Oh, uh, subjective data. Like, how do you feel? Yep. And then we can see then how should we change your day each time? And we look at this at a macro level and see how our suggestions actually change to fitness outcomes. Um, so that's this. It's like at first it'll be simple. And then as we get more and more data in, if the data then impacts the model, it'll get more and more complex. Can I share but some those are the, with that, Nate? Yeah, please. So, uh, <clears throat> um, nationals, like I talked about before, I was pushing, just trying to push myself through a wall and then I took a week off and then I had a week until nationals. And when I took that week off, uh, I already had it scheduled as like a light week. So I just did like very minimal training throughout that week. And then the next week, because I'm, uh, I'm just probably like a lot of you listening to this, I was like, well, I got to really light it up and at least do some short intense stuff prior to going into this. I don't need to, a lot of volume, but something going into this week before Nats. And I did shorter and more intense work and I was still pushing against that wall. If you look back at the yellow light, green light thing, that week was yellow and then it went into red, but I was pushing through it, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I got to nationals, I was red. And that's why my performance at that one, when you look at the numbers, my performance was really far off from what I would have expected it to be in terms of power output and in terms of like where I was sitting with my heart rate, the whole thing. So this would be like a fantastic feature because I was on a plan coming into that, but your body reacts differently. And that's why we've built adaptive training is so that it can adapt to you. And this is going to be a huge step to helping that it adapts even more to train you even more as an individual. It's just super exciting. So, yeah. Menstrual cycle, menstrual cycle tracking too, mm -hmm. into doing this red light, uh, red light, yellow light, red light, green light project. Uh, that's also often awesome. Mm -hmm. Desaturated dad. Thank you for the comment. It says, I'm a user who is very satisfied with the pace of innovation by the TR team. I'm getting much more value from my account now than I was a year ago, which is cool we because love yeah, you have, that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, you have an AI driven training cool. plan now and a year ago you did not yes. uh, for the same price. Somebody is saying with all the value being added, why not create a pro version and charge more? Uh, if you guys have feedback on that, let us know. Uh, the world is a more expensive yeah. place these days okay. <laughs> and like, uh, no. it's complicated, you know, last time it, yeah, go ahead. I'm going to say something and please talk in the forum about it, but this is just a thought. 
It's people looking for. <laughs> I have this brand, and I love. I'm just going to do it. Uh, I'm in charge. <laughs> There's uh, this is Hannah loves it. So there, <laughs> Hannah's just like, why am I here? <laughs> there is a <laughs> Hannah. You're, I'll, I'm going to go get a drink in a little bit and walk away. There's a uh, um. So we have grandfathered people inside of Trainer Road, and that actually pulls down our revenue a lot, and like like hiring people. But there's also some. We are at twenty bucks a month too. And what we think we might do, this is this is just an idea that we floated, me and the COO, is that we have a like a fifteen dollar a month plan, a twenty dollar a month plan. The twenty has like the more pro stuff, and the fifteen has the more regular. So twenty would have like adaptive training, and fifteen wouldn't. And then uh, grandfathered people would be locked into whatever features we'd had when we do that. So you would have adaptive training and whatever that is forever. You'd get incremental updates, but big things like FTP estimation stuff, you would have to then upgrade to a plan to get those things. Um, that allows me, if we did that, it would allow me to keep my promise where you could still pay for this train and road and you still get whatever features you had forever. But if for us long-term, um, those people could then move to the... Uh, they could upgrade and pay, you know, five more dollars a month or something like that. And at a macro level, that means like we have like three more teams and it's huge because it allows us to get so much more stuff out. And, but I also don't want to like break a promise to people. And I feel like I wouldn't, but I'm saying it here because people can say, that's a horrible idea, Nate, or I think that's a fair idea. And I know that probably isn't the best case idea because you want to be I mean, everyone wants, if we get the Trino was free, that would be everyone's best idea. But that discussion could <laughs> that have. Everyone's but ours. We would, yeah. the thing is like that people may not understand is that we aren't a venture funded company. We don't have a huge amount of, we are bootstrapped. So when we make money that allows us to hire more people and that allow more people allows us to build more features. So like, it's not as if, um, <clears throat> like, you know, we're raising the price and Nate's got his eyes on a Lambo and that's the goal. Like the goal is that we hire more people to build more things. That's the goal. So it's, um, that that's, that's why we have to talk about those things, you know, as you can see, I'm passionate about this stuff and I still have lots of energy and I still want to go super far. So anyways, that's an idea of having a 15 and a 20, um, and then having the grandfather people stay with the current feature set that they have, but then future stuff, they would need to upgrade for that. So talk about it in the forum. Tell me why it's a good or bad idea. And uh, we can move from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, once again, Nate isn't saying that we are raising the costs or raising the price right now. He's just sharing that to get feedback no. from all y'all. Or lowering the price. Yeah, sure. <laughs> feedback. Yeah. Let's hear it. So Feedback. Let's hear it. Okay. Okay. So let's get back to goals a little bit here and let's talk about, I can't, we had a big diversion there and it was awesome. <laughs> Ivy, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, Ivy, I'll be in this thread. I'll, I'll handle this. Just message me privately, Ivy, and I'll do it. Um, I want to get into goals. So, uh, and if anybody wants to share their goals, they're welcome to this year. If you don't want to share your goals, that's also okay. Um, I talked about my goals actually, hold on. This might go long today. I don't know. Okay. I need to share mine with all of you on here because last time I talked about it and I don't know, I got like, eh, from Alex and from Chad, I got, eh, and that was it. So, uh, this year, <laughs> since we have the little one coming, I'm going to pivot to triathlon and I'm going to do that because three sports makes more sense than one somehow. But the reason that it does is because I don't want right now to move the needle in terms of training, uh, on the bike. I have to train a lot. It's a lot of high volume. So, uh, for me, I don't, 
I want to change up my goals. So I don't feel like I have to do that sort of a thing because that level of training and time commitment takes me away from my family. And we have another little kid coming along the way this year. That's worrisome to me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to miss time with family. So instead, uh, when I can run, take the family for a hike, do anything else like that, instead of distracting from my goals, it, it somewhat or directly contributes if I can run with a stroller with the kids, right. Or spending time in the pool helps as well. So my goals are shifting hundred percent. I'm going toward just triathlon. I don't have any event goals whatsoever. I'll be doing a handful of races this year on mountain bikes and I might do a triathlon. I don't know, but it's totally shifting. So in other words, feel free to share your goals if you want to, or if not, but I, 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 you know, that is what it is. But Amber, uh, can you share some stuff just basically on goals from a base level in terms of what do you think is a healthy perspective to have on goals or how do you think about it? Um, about goal setting, goal achieving, the whole thing. I think, well, the first thing is you want to pick a goal that's really motivating to you because we've already talked about this a little bit, how there are going to be some really tough days. Uh, you might have to pivot a goal based on changing circumstances. Um, but the goal, the, the overlying, the overarching thing about your goal should be that it really lights a fire under you. And that's the thing that's going to get you through those tougher days. Uh, it's really going to be the thing that pulls you through the possibly months of preparation that are going to be required to meet that goal. So really dig deep within yourself and, and figure out what it is that's going to light that fire. And the goal itself, um, I would step back to like, once you've kind of landed on a goal, maybe it's an event, maybe it's not necessarily the event itself that's going to light the fire, but what it represents, it might be a, a deeper why behind the reason that you want to complete an Ironman, for example, whatever that goal happens to be, what is the why behind it? Is it something about growing yourself? Is it something about, um, challenging yourself? Is it some, you know, like Jonathan, part of your driving force for this goal is to spend more time with your family. That's a, I mean, that's a really powerful why, you know, to, to, to add fuel to the fire on a goal. So pick something that's really going to move you, really going to motivate you. And then from there, break it down. So we've talked about the difference between process goals and outcome goals, process goals, performance goals, and we'll get more into that in a little bit. But what you want to do with any big, hairy, audacious goal, um, and it should be big and it should be audacious and it should, because that's the thing that's really going to light your fire, then break it down break it down into smaller goals. What are the things that you're going to need to do to support this goal or to put you in a position to achieve it? And then when you've broken those down into like really tiny pieces, those tiny pieces are likely going to look like smaller process goals. And this is all about managing energy and motivation. So you have this big, huge overarching motivator, but then you're going to break that down into these smaller process goals because what's more motivating than success? right? When you're having success with these smaller victories on your way to your goal, it's really going to, it's just going to keep generating more and more momentum or momentum and motivation. So it's going to keep that fire alive and it's going to just keep that motivation fueled all the way through to that goal date, whatever that happens to be. So I, I'd really encourage you to think about this in terms of motivation, stewarding that motivation and how you can break down a big audacious goal into smaller ones so that you can keep that fire going throughout your preparation. It's really easy to let our motivation make our eyes bigger than our stomach, right? Or in this case, our legs perhaps <laughs> and lungs. Um, how do you Hannah, make sure that you set a realistic goal? Because Amateurs suffer from this, uh, and, but pros do too. It's not like, uh, it's not like you y'all are immune. It's the same thing. So how do you make sure that your goal is realistic? Yeah. You know, I, I always love the saying, um, I've heard it said a lot is people often overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in five. So 
I think, you know, a lot of people make these huge outlandish goals that need to happen right away. It doesn't mean that you can't have those goals for your lifetime. It just means, hey, let's set a more realistic time frame. And so I think time frame is one of the first things that you can look at when you're talking about making a goal realistic. You know, if something really, like Amber said, if it lights a fire under you, don't give it up. Don't say, oh man, I can't do that. Just make a more realistic time frame for it. And then take a step back and say, okay, well, if my goal is to do that in three years, what should my goal to be in two and one and for the next month? And so I think it's really having that lens zoom in and zoom out. And for me, what really excites me is usually whatever I'm doing next. Um, I think that's probably the case for a lot of people. And so when you're looking at whatever's next, that's not always a lot of time. So for me, usually my goal is just one more step. It's as simple and as silly as it is. It's literally just improvement, um, you know, and when we are talking about process goals, it could be on my next ride, I am going to fuel, you know, X amount. And that's pretty simple theoretically to make happen. If you're talking about the next race, well, I know I was fifth here last year. Maybe your goal is to be fourth this year. You know, like literally just that one step for me is always really exciting because, you know, and and this is at least very personal. I don't know if it's the case for anyone else, but, you know, if I hit a goal, I'm very rarely, you know, in a race, if my goals, or I guess a race is harder. Let's say, you know, your goal is a certain wattage and you hit that wattage, I'm very rarely like, okay, done. Like if I can get five more than my goal, I'm going to do that. And so, you know, I, I think as long as you're seeking improvement, that's a great goal. And then don't be afraid to blow it out of the water. Yeah. And probably if your goal aligns to what Amber said of having a why behind the thing that's truly motivating, that's what makes you go for five more, right? Uh, like you're saying, Hannah, um, (laughs) Really like the approach of just making it steps of where you've been and looking at the next step. And then as long as there's a why behind it, that's motivating. You can go from there. Nate, you've, you've embodied that actually really well <clears throat> because, uh, with the different goals that you've set over the, the time that you've set them on the podcast, you've said, I just want to be a bit better than this, a bit better than this. I was this last time, a bit better than this, rather than setting something that's really large. So I think the, uh, I think it's a good approach. And it's process goals versus outcome goals. What do you actually have under control versus what is the outcome? Because the outcome, it just is what it is based on what your process is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. especially and like with said, It could be more than you could undershoot, right? Yeah. Totally undershoot. You don't want to stop it there. Yeah. And you also don't want to feel like totally awful if you've improved and you hit your process. If you hit your process goals and you've improved, but you didn't get to where your goal was, that's still a win mm-hmm. because the goal is like a guess. Yeah. Uh, always. And it's easy to have outcome. So I mentioned that like, I need those outcome, big outcome goals to stretch myself and to make myself, you know, extra motivated and to go far. But you also heard the downside of that, that when I didn't even, you know, when I missed out on the podium, even at nationals, it just devastated me. And it was really hard to just find motivation again and to deal with all that. Thank goodness we had Cape Epic and it felt like something that was totally different than what I had been working for. So it was like a fresh motivation to, to go for, but so that's the, that's the thing. If you're, if that's how you work and you kind of need something to stretch and to do all that, and that's, uh, what works for you, just know that there is downside to that. There's a lot of potential risk to losing motivation. If that outcome goal was something that you weren't able to get to. And with racing, you simply can't control what other people are doing. 
And when other people mm -hmm. show up that are really strong and you didn't anticipate them being there, or they have a great day, or you suffered mechanicals or things out of your control, that's the hard part about results-based goals in race fields. You can have results-based goals and things that you can control, but results-based goals for race fields are really complicated. I'm still struggling with that that's relationship a, with them. That's a really good way to figure out how to break down a big goal into process goals. So when you look at that big goal, there's going to be a lot about it that's within your control, and there's a lot that's not going to be within your control. So stepping back and identifying what are the things that are actually within my control that I can do to contribute or to put myself in a position to achieve this goal. And it's really about putting yourself in a position to achieve it because, again, that's a really fair acknowledgement of how much is really beyond your own control. So focusing on what you're, you know, control the controllables, that's how you set process goals. So identify what are the controllables, what are the things that are within your control, and then really focus your attention on those things, tick those boxes as you move toward the big goal. Yes, absolutely. And I think too, um, you know, it, it's always good to have more than one goal. Because yeah. just like everyone's saying, things are out of your control. So if your goal is to go to this race and take top five and you look at the start list the night before and you're like, well, I didn't achieve my goal, like that, that's just such a bummer, you know, it, and that and so it's great to one, have something that you're like, OK, but I'm still working towards this. Um, and also, don't be afraid to adapt your goals. That doesn't mean you didn't achieve them. I read something, I can't remember where I read it, but I read something about one of the reasons women are so good at endurance sports is because women are really good at adapting their goals and their mindsets on the fly. So not to say that everyone can't do this. Men, you can do it too. We're pretty um, stubborn. But, yeah. But, we make you know, hard pedal. Like, we go goal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it's like, I think the study was something about marathon, like hitting a time and showing up and it was like pouring rain. And they surveyed to see, you know, whether people were still dead set on hitting their goal. And a lot of the women were like, you know, it's raining. I'm adjusting my goal X amount or my time X amount. And I think that's great. You should be willing to look at your scenario and say, okay, given the circumstances, I can still achieve my goal if I alter it to match those circumstances. Mm -hmm. uh, Hannah, what you just said is so insightful is I think in general, this is generalization which is never a good thing to do. But men usually have uh, maybe a stronger ego than women. Yeah, and I apologize as, for that. Oh, it's true. This goes... It's true. I, well, John's saying it's true. I'm saying it's a generalization. It's a, gen it's a generalization uh, that is true. I'm sorry. True. The, the generalization is true. Yeah. And um, what Amber said about your inner why, and this, this might... Some of you are going to hear this and you're going to say no, but I but like think about this in like deep inside because I know I've been here too, where some men, an outcome that you might be going for is tied to your belief of your self-worth as a person. Mm -hmm. And then if I do this thing, I will then be worthy or I will have a better opinion of myself if I get cat one upgrade, if I hit this time goal. And if I don't hit this time goal, I am therefore somehow unworthy or compared to my friends, I am not as good of a person as them or is not as don't have the much as grit or something like that. And when your inner why like is tied to that, it can be extremely challenging when you don't hit your goal and it can be devastating. Right. Mm -hmm. But if it's this thing of like, did I get better? Am I better than before? Did I enjoy this process? And I having fun during it, all the like different kinds of whys is it 
Do I want my kids to be proud of me? And you know what? My kids are going to be proud of me if I show up, right? Yeah. These sorts of things. Uh, they're they're going to be proud of me if they see me working hard every day and I'm setting an example for them. That stuff, amazing. So just if you look into it, and I think what Hannah just said, men show up and they go, I got to qualify for Boston or you know, three of my friends have, I haven't, this is my time. That's my goal. And if I don't hit it, I am not as good as my friends. I'm not like in the club. Uh, that can be a motivator and it's just a tough way to live. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes a lot of like work and you go to therapy and stuff to try to figure out to go around it to get different um, motivations. Amber, did you have this too as, as you were younger? Uh, what was your this evolution resonating. This? <laughs> this is yeah. resonating a lot with me. I'm like, okay, this is not just men because this is 100% me. <laughs> yeah. But I think that that's such a big trap is is to tie a sense of self-worth to an outcome. And, and I will say that almost through my entire athletic career, I had this idea in my head that if I just qualify for this event, if I just get this result, then I'll be enough, then I'll be satisfied. And it's that I'll be enough or I'll be worthy. There's different versions of this that we use to mess with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't tie your why to whether or not you're worthy or you're enough. I mean, that's a given. That's your baseline. It is okay to be okay with yourself now and still have a goal. The goal, the goal doesn't have to be about proving, proving your worth as a human being, because that's not what this is about. It's a learning process. It's a growth process. So it's a hard thing not to do. And it's something that I think most of us struggle with. But if you, the first step is to be aware of it. You know, if you start think digging into, okay, I want to complete an Ironman. Why do I want to do that? Well, it's to prove that, you know, I'm, I'm enough, or it's to prove myself to my friends somehow. Take a step back. Just be aware if you start to tie that into a self-worth thing and take a step back and see if, can you find a different why? Can you find a different why other than that? Can you take a stop, just stop for a moment and say, you know what? Maybe I am enough right now. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and this is, I'm, I'm going to throw this out here, there with uh, just a, a word of caution. This doesn't work for everybody, but this actually worked really well for me. So I'm just going to share it. Um, I've struggled with this for a really long time. and I talk to my swim coaches. If you listen to my uh, successful athletes podcast, you know, I started swimming when I was at the age of 10. And so my relationship with my swim coaches goes way, way back. They've known me a really long time. And we were talking about this problem of not feeling like enough. And they said to me, you know, when you were 10, you didn't feel like you were enough. And then when you were 15, you didn't feel like you were enough. And at 20, you didn't feel like you're enough (laughs) at 25. And here we are, I'm 40 and I still don't feel like I'm I'm enough most days. But what that made me realize was maybe that's not the goal. Maybe I, maybe just somehow in my wiring, I'm not going to feel like I'm enough ever. And I actually just stopped. And as soon as I accepted that, it stopped being my goal. And it was so freeing. And that sounds really counterintuitive to say, okay, you know what? I just accept that I'm never going to feel like I'm enough. But what it did was it stopped me feeling like I had to chase it. And then when I started setting goals for myself, the why behind the goal wasn't so that I'll finally feel like I'm enough. The why behind the goal, I was free to have a different why. And the the whys became so much more motivating. And in a weird counterintuitive way, it's actually made me finally feel like I'm enough. It's it's just a funny thing. Um, so I'm just putting that out there as something. It may not work for everybody, but it's it's kind of a fun mental trick to try. And if it does work for you, then I'm really happy to share that. Hmm. Amber, yeah. I think you're enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys. <laughs> do, uh, I, Hannah, do you want to say, I want to say something directly to that. Oh, please uh, do. I'll, I just want to share a personal I'll, example. So you go ahead first. I'll do something quick. The So the first step, as Amber said, is to be aware. 
And if you're aware of it, that doesn't mean you need to like, I cannot train until I'm like the Zen master of not like having this kind of insecurity, not being enough, because that's might not ever happen. If you're aware of it, just be like, if I don't hit this girl goal, goal I'll still love myself. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you have that relationship, like go for it. Like that's, that is probably better than most people. And I would say that's a healthy relationship of, it's not going to devastate me if I don't hit my goal, but I still motivated and I want to do it. Um, but I still, uh, what it's, it's being kind to yourself as Amber always says. Right. And, uh, if I, if something derails me or I get sick or I get stressed and I don't hit a workout, I'm not like, oh, I'm the worst person in the world. I'm depressed and I'm just going to double the next day and get in this black hole. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, Hannah, go ahead. No, I just, I, I absolutely love what Amber is saying and I can relate to it a lot too. And I think that's also one reason why for me, process goals have become more and more of my focus throughout my career. You know, when I was younger and in high school, it was a little bit easier to make the goal being to win. I want to win. I want to win. And then, you know, as you go up the professional ranks, you realize I'm not going to win every race. (laughs) (laughs) Shoot. (laughs) Um, So like, what am I going to do about this? You know? Um, And the answer is to just, it's not, the answer is not to just accept that you're not going to hit your goals. No. Um, You know, and, and I think a great example of this for me personally was last year I was uh, part of the Olympic long team. So that means I was one of six women who were vying for a shot at the Olympics and ultimately three would make it. And so obviously my goal was to make the Olympic team to make that final selection. And I remember sitting down when I found out I was a part of that team and being like, wow, I want to make it. I want to make it so bad. This is my goal. I wrote it all over the house. I wanted it. And then I sat down and I thought, but you know, I can't control what all these other five women do. I can't control, you know, how they're training or what they're doing. And what if I don't make it? What What if I don't? Which, spoiler alert, I didn't. So I, I feel like I also have power to say, um, you know, some of this, which is, you know, I sat down and I said, okay, what if I don't make it, what do I want to know? What do I want to be able to tell myself? And I said, I want to be able to tell myself I did everything I can. And so I sat there and I wrote down every single thing that I thought that I could do, so process goals to make the team. And I wrote until I felt like I didn't have anything else to say. And I looked at the list and I said, if I do all of these things, I promise myself I will be happy. And those became my mantra for every day. It wasn't, I want to make the team. It wasn't, I want to make the Olympics. It's, I want to knock off this list. And one of the things on the list was literally drink two liters of water a day. You know, it's really (laughs) simple, simple, simple things. And you know what? I didn't make the team. And I, I, when I got that call, I walked over to the list. I looked at the list and I said, you know what? I did it. I'm really proud of myself. And that felt so good. And now instead of saying I didn't hit the goal, I know that I hit a part of the goal. And now going into 2024 with a new goal, I get to revisit that list and say, okay, this list served me then, but it didn't make it to that outcome goal. What can I change? What can I adjust? What can I add? And that makes me so excited. And it's exciting to have these little micro goals on the way to something that just seems like it, it's on, you almost can't even grasp it because it's like so far away. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have these little benchmarks that you get to pursue every day. What so Hannah just exciting. said, like she, so it sounds like Hannah 
is finds enjoyment in the process and adjusting the little things that she can control in her day to day. That is, that's what makes like amazing pro athletes, right? Or people like successful that get very people successful because yeah. mm-hmm. in, in, anything, in anything like uh, business too. Like I love building trainer road. I don't think about the outcome of, of what's going to happen. I'm just like, you guys have seen me in meetings. I really like it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that. that gives me a pull. And it, I always want to like improve it and do little little changes and stuff. But you can imagine if I said, ooh, if we didn't grow at this rate, I'm like going to be depressed. Or I'm a failure if we don't grow at this rate. The rate is what it is. What can we do to make it faster? And as long as we're doing those things, uh, I don't feel I'm good with my life. Yeah. Yeah. I want to just comment two things. I, I love... Um, I love what you guys have just said. And I think we can sum that up by saying, if you've prepared the best you can prepare and you gave a hundred percent on the day, that's literally the most anyone can ask of you, including yourself. So if you can answer yes to those two questions, you're golden. You know, as far as we're concerned, you've hit that goal. Um, and the other thing I just want to share on the topic of being enough and this, this concept of being worthy. One thing that has really driven that home for me in a way that I didn't expect is having a kid. Cause I look at this, baby who is frankly not capable of doing a whole lot right now. <laughs> and she's a hundred percent worthy. I mean, I don't look at her and say, baby, you better roll over or you're not enough. You know, <laughs> you better like, <laughs> it, even if you're not a parent saying that out loud, I mean, it sounds ludicrous, right? To say that to a tiny child who is just learning how to be in the world, that baby doesn't have to achieve any benchmarks or goals in order to be worthy. And you're exactly the same. That doesn't change just because you become an adult. You are worthy as you are right now. And that doesn't mean that you can't also feel interest and excitement and enthusiasm for growing and learning new things. This 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 perhaps goes without saying uh, for some people listening to this, but I do think it's an important reminder This is why it's really important to reflect back on your achievement and give yourself credit for your success throughout the, like, you don't have to delay that until the moment of achievement, whether that's a specific event or whether that's any, the end of the year, whatever it may be, it's important to reflect and give yourself credit as you go along. Um, and, and when I say give yourself credit, that also seems like it might be taken for granted. Like, of course I'd give myself credit, but Type A athletes in particular are, really struggle with this. And I know I personally struggle with this in the sense that there's always typically somebody faster that you can see or is right around you or you know. Uh, it's really easy to compare yourself to others. And as a result, remove all credit that you actually do deserve. And that's so important for the motivation aspect of this as well. Don't feel like you need to just be an intrinsically motivated person that you decided the goal on January 1 and then December 31 when it wraps around, you should have the same exact level of motivation even if everything was really difficult the whole time. That's not how it works. Like you have to look back, you have to be fair, you have to be honest with yourself and you have to be caring for yourself too. So make sure you're doing well, that. I, let's go deeper. So what Amber just said about um, her child being... Uh, worthy, worthy enough. Yeah. What can happen is, uh, for those that get really focused on outcome stuff and you feel bad, it can oftentimes be tied to when you were a child, your parents only showing love if you achieve something. So if you got straight A's, you, they were happy. If you got C's, they were upset rather than unconditional love, like no matter what, and, you know, constantly showing, uh, care for emotions and stuff like that. It was very based on the outcome of what you did outside in life. And um, that's something to be aware of. And there's a great book called uh, Do the Work 
which is talks about one of the chapters is reparenting of how would you have wanted to be parented yourself as a child um, to what Amber said. Pretty sure Amber is not going to be like, unless you're a D1 swimmer, like get out of here, <laughs> right? But some parents, not to maybe that extent, but they're like that. They're like, mm-hmm. they are just proud about your achievements and not who you are as a person. And I highly doubt Amber is going to going to do that. I'm not saying that Amber's parents did that, but just some, we've all seen it, right? And you've seen documentaries about high level athletes where their parents were so much about the outcome. And it can also like break people uh, long term. So just something to think about. And uh, again, that book is called Do the Work. Awesome. It can be really subtle too. And, and so I just want to, parents do this with the best of intentions and they don't mm-hmm. realize that they're doing it. And it can be something as subtle. And even right now I'm trying to be aware of it. And it is hard because mm-hmm. like she can't even talk yet and she's rolling over and I'm like, great job. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> is she going to think that <laughs> she has to roll over and do a good job in order for me to love her? You know, I mean, you can really drive yourself nuts with it. So if you're a parent, do the best you can. It's, you know, it's okay. Do some reading. There, there's a lot of resources out there that can help help um, help you be aware of this. And if you're somebody who experienced this as a kid while you're being parented, like Nate said, there's a lot that you can do for yourself to help prepare that. But also, you know, your parents were probably doing the best that they could too. They, they really probably had the best of intentions and it is not easy. <laughs> and you want to celebrate. So you do want to celebrate the wins, like Amber's saying. Right. But also, yeah. let's celebrate when you see them do something being kind. Hey, you're a kind person. Right. I love the, the person you're developing into. Uh, that was so mm-hmm. thoughtful to think of your friends, like all these kind of things that you want your kid to develop to, to be more conscious and say that to them as they're developing. And Amber, right now is fun, but wait till they're like eight, nine, ten, like, and they understand this stuff. That is super fun. Uh, <gasps> it, it's amazing. I don't want to just go too far on the parenting side, but maybe it does teach I us know. all to be our. <laughs> Let's just go. It does teach us to be better athletes <laughs> because. I think like, uh, so there's that saying that like, uh, you can teach a man to fish and he'll fish for, or you can uh, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, teach a man to fish, he'll eat forever. And the same thing with your children goes to a certain respect of, you can teach your children that you are happy when they do something great. And that isn't necessarily bad. You should be happy when they do something great. Um, or you can teach your children to feel great when they do something great. And that's a big part of like we, we always ask our son, like, how does that make you feel? Like, and he's like, Hey, check out what I did. Cool. How does that make you feel? And my instant, instant reaction is I want to say, I am so proud of you. And I want to jump into that, but I try to do that. So then he first learns that, Hey, this is important because it makes me feel good. And the same thing with sports, we should do the same thing uh, with cycling. We should, instead of just going through something and saying, now I'm proud of myself. Instead, we should focus on the small achievements, like what we've had advice from Hannah and Amber in particular, and, and make sure that we're giving ourselves the credit for those things. I want to get into approaching with, oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. go ahead, Amber. I was gonna say just approaching with curiosity and enthusiasm. Yes. It's a safe bet. Yeah. And I have to say the word, uh, someone was confused in the chat. The it's Nicole LaPera. And on Instagram, she is the holistic psychologist and she gives tips like every day. She's definitely worth the follow. Cool. Um, okay. I want to talk about the, how the rubber meets the road in terms of planning a season. Then like you have some sort of a goal, Hannah, how do you do this? Especially now you've got lifetime grand prix. you've got like a seven. Yeah. I'm sure you have 19 a races on your calendar. Um, uh, myth. That's not the truth. <laughs> a lot of races, but they're not all a races. Like, yeah. <laughs> how do yeah. Right. How do you plan out a season for you when you're talking about it's that you could feel pressure to feel like you need to win every race. Cause you're a pro and that's your job. So 
How do you plan out your season in terms of picking a races and building up for them, timeframes, everything else? It's really complicated. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not as easy as it sounds. And I think, uh, it's a lot easier to do for other people than it is for yourself. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think for me, at least, you're right. As a professional athlete, I really never go to a start line and I'm like, my goal is to be fifth today. Mm -hmm. That's not really an internal dialogue that I have. Um, so the difference for me with, you know, an A race or a B race is really the preparation. And then the mindset stays the same of, you know, I want to do the best with what I have today. And I know that on that A race, that is everything. I know on those B races, what I have will fluctuate. And so, you know, for me, I'm setting those A races around um, those huge goals that I have, you know, looking, uh, you know, and it's, uh, that's where it can get complicated, right? Is it's like, well, you have world champs, you have national champs, you have the lifetime series, you have all of these huge events. And that's why, you know, I don't, necessarily like to announce out loud what I consider to be A versus B, but to just know that every time I stand on the start line, my goal is to give it my best. And obviously some will be prioritized um, to the top of that list. That said, I think that there's a general structure that is possible versus not possible. And so, you know, just like Amber said, you should do what makes you excited? I get asked this question a lot is what should be my A event this season? Well, I don't know. <laughs> what do you want to be your A event this season? What makes you excited? Because if you're not excited about it, it should not be your A event because you're going to need to think about that event every single week until it happens. And so first, what makes you excited? Then you want to look at it and you want to have I usually say 12 to 24 weeks of training before that A event. Um, and then you want to have a couple of races before that A event. And I think especially now that's really important, uh, having gone through COVID and all of that. I know a lot of people are lining up on the start line. I know we're still in COVID, not to diminish that, but a lot of people are standing on the start line for the first time in a long time for this A event. And then after like, I don't know, I just never really got into it. Well, it, it takes a little while. So you should have 12 to 24 weeks of training before your A event, if possible. You should have a couple week, uh, a couple races before that A event, if possible. And then if you have more than one A event, you should have at least six weeks in between them. And the reason for that is because you have to recover both physically and mentally. You might be thinking if it's just like an XCO, oh, I only need a day recovery. That might be true. You need time to mentally come down mm -hmm. from that A event. And then you need time to build up again. And then you need time to taper again. And as much as we don't like to admit it, when we taper, we do lose just this little itty bitty bit of fitness. And when you're doing it for just one race, it's Im it's imperceptible. You don't ex you don't notice that you lose fitness. But if you do it for 5 weeks in a row, mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're much less fit going into that fifth race than you were that first race, because all you've essentially done is rest and prep for five weeks. So that's why you need this time to build, to recover, 
to build, to taper. And that realistically at, at minimum takes six weeks, um, you know, and more is better. Mm-hmm. I think nowadays, you know, we have so many different types of racing and opportunities that once you start plugging in all of this stuff, it can be really overwhelming on the calendar. Cause you're like, I have so many goals and none of them fit, you know, <laughs> this structure. Um, and so, you know, just, just standing by some of those basic principles, making sure you're covering well enough, trying to have your races in sections. You know, if you're doing XCO, like for example, for me, I'm doing world cups and then I'm doing Leadville, you know, (laughs) you don't always have the option, but if you can kind of section them out, um, that is really helpful. You know, maybe you start the season with XCO and finish with longer events And then also when all else fails, when you can't control when these races are, when you call the race director and ask them to move the race to fit your build and they say no, like, how could they? I'm just kidding. Um, You know, now, now is the time to prepare for that. Have a really big base because that will help you all season long when you're recovering and when you're um, tapering into these events. If you have this just massive foundation that you formed at the beginning of the season, that will help you still be strong in September and October when you haven't been able to put in as many hours. So now is the time to get fired up and really put in that work to make your season fun. Awesome. Also, Hannah's tips perfectly aligned with Plan Builder's framework, by the way. So, <clears throat> yes, <laughs> uh, you can use Plan Builder and, and apply all of Hannah's tips to how to plan out your season. Um, fantastic stuff. Thanks, Hannah. I'm super excited. So, this Lifetime Grand Prix is currently surrounded by a whole lot of controversy, thanks to a friend of the podcast, Jeff Kabush, and others. But uh, I'm really excited to watch it because I feel like I have a series now and there's kind of like a narrative and it's going to be really fun to watch um, and to see how uh, all of our friends do here on the podcast uh, that are also racing. It's going to be cool. Let's get into some rapid fire questions. Then we're going to talk about unbound gravel and you, Hannah, your goals, and then we'll finish off with some injury prevention. Um, and then if we have any time, we'll get to live questions, but not sure. Okay. First one. This is from Mariana. She says, question for the wonderful lady host of the podcast. What is the highest peak power you've heard of a woman achieving? I constantly hear men talk about absurdly high numbers and find myself. And she says, as a self-proclaimed sprinter that is yet to ever do a race without a benchmark, (laughs) we feel you, Mariana, you're not alone in this case at all. Um, Yeah. So Amber or Hannah, who wants to take this one? Nate and I will step out. <laughs> I fully I can... defer to Amber. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I may not be the best source for this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this with a lot of caveats. So my expertise is in road. So if you're talking about absolute power and and ac- actual peak power numbers, you probably want to look at the data of track cyclists. Like they're the ones that are really going to have like the highest numbers. Um, but I'm more familiar with data on the road, and even then. I never paid too much attention to the power output of my competitors because it's not necessarily the number, those numbers that are going to win races. So I can speak to my experience. And then the one data point I do know, because uh, she tweeted about it on Twitter is Chloe Hosking, who is a sprinter on the world tour. Um, in training, she held 986 watts for five seconds. So that's not a peak power, but holding that for five seconds is bonkers. And I will say that of the data that I'm aware of, when you're looking at 
race finishing sprints in the world tour, you're looking at numbers on the order of a thousand watts and above, but you have to remember that that's after potentially 80 to a hundred <laughs> or even 130 kilometers of flat out racing. So take all those numbers with a grain of salt. Um, Absolute peaks also are very, very dependent on body mass and technique as much as strength. So keep that in mind when you hear people talking about numbers. It's really, really hard to compare the numbers of two individuals uh, side by side. And I was never a pure sprinter, but in training, I could hit about, I could hit 1200 watts. Um, I, I know I hit above 1200 watts a few times. Um, and then <laughs> I could size. pretty consistently hit. <laughs> I could pretty consistently hit over a thousand watts in training and races, um, but definitely not for five seconds. At least not that I'm aware of. That's that's uh, that is world tour level performance. So um, I don't know if that helps give you a, a little bit of an idea. But again, I'm a larger rider as as cyclists go. So at five ten, and when I was racing, I was anywhere between 150 155 pounds. So um, as a larger rider, I'm. I can put out more watts as a peak power absolute number, but again, that's we're talking absolute watts, absolute numbers, and that's not watts per kg. Um, so there's a whole lot of caveats here, but I hope that that actually gives you some somewhat of an idea. Amber's peak power is higher than my peak power, which is <laughs> like your snap is better than mine, which is crazy. And one before you go, John, one thing too that Amber said. We haven't, I haven't had a road race since you said this because of COVID, but something you said about sprinting stuck with me. And I never did this as you said, think about turning the pedals as fast as you can. And when I always did it, I always think of like, how hard can I do one downstroke, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like downstroke, downstroke, downstroke. And you were thinking more of how do I make a circle as, as fast as I can of one fluid motion. And I've, I've thought about that so many times and I want to <laughs> go out and try that, uh, and, and do it, but I just haven't, you know, I've been mountain bike focused since then and stuff too but very that was yeah. a cool insight that um thank you for that super helpful yeah absolutely i think amber's race really impressive yeah, yeah. <laughs> amber's race sprint yeah. power is higher than my race sprint power for sure because in training i've hit 1400 but then in a race it's amazing how little like how much of that i can't achieve um typically it's really hard. yeah it's like if i break a thousand watts in the sprint usually at the end and i'm not a sprinter right so like but if I break a thousand watts at the end of a sprint, that's like, wow, like, uh, that's a, a good job by me, but it's usually not the case. It, it's good. To, but again, I that comes down a lot to technique. So like mm -hmm. Nate was saying, it's a different way of looking at it. It's a different technique. Um, so it's not necessarily about strength per se. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hannah, do, do you have yeah. anything I can to add to this? Go ahead. <laughs> it's part of it. It's part of yeah. it. <laughs> Coming from the mountain bike side, I mean, I, I know you've also done road races. You've done try, you've done everything, but. No, I mean, I don't have a lot to add from the, the numbers aspect. I think that, um, you know, when Amber talks about technique, that really hits home for me because I am not a sprinter at all. That's something that I've had to work really hard to have any kind of snap, probably coming from the triathlon background, especially. And for me, I noticed that it's definitely less about my physical improvement, like physically getting stronger or fitter, and more about, I feel like when I'm sprinting well, when I look down and see numbers that I'm happy with, it's when I can almost feel that muscle synchronization or that neuromuscular yes. connection. It's like when my brain yeah. is saying, go and my muscles are actually responding. It's like, oh yeah, now, now we're doing it. It's less about <laughs> like, 
oh yeah, like I, I'm squatting so much more than I ever have before. Therefore I'm sprinting really well. No, the correlation is much higher uh, mentally than it is physically. I think if I could, which is a really, inc- oh, please, Amber, <laughs> go ahead. keep doing yeah, this. Please. <laughs> um, if you're listening, that should be a really, really encouraging point for you if you're somebody who's ever struggled with sprinting or if you're somebody who wants to improve your sprint because it is so technique heavy. It's not necessarily about going out and build it. Like Hannah said, it's not about squatting massive weight and building a bunch of muscle mass. Um, because it is so technique heavy, there is a ton of room for improvement for anybody who wants to work on their technique. Imagine if you had the assurance that your chain wouldn't break uh, when you're sprinting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Or or fall Obviously, off after like, bend your chain ring because you're so strong. Yeah. That is not <laughs> something so I've strong. ever thought about. So I'm sorry. That's that why it happened. Because <laughs> honestly, I didn't think about it a whole lot until I had a chain break in a sprint. But then when I saw Nate nearly die when we were filming the sprinting, I think it's a sprinting one-on-one video. It's on our YouTube channel. Everyone should check it out. It's got Pete just looking awesome, buff, strong sprinter man uh, on the thumbnail. We were filming Nate and Nate's chain blew off and it was because his chain ring was just like noodled to the side and it blew off. And I I like, I was filming with the camera, like almost dropped the camera. I was terrified. Like, and ever it's just stuck with me so much. Now it's like, uh, I'm, I'm always nervous to me too, John. (laughs) I'm sure it has. It's hard to get that snap. And that's why I wish, uh, like I'm not, this sounds, you know, arrogant to say, but I'm like, I'm not a weak person. I'm strong. And yeah. that's why I was able to bend it, but I was, my technique was wrong. I was just trying to pull as hard as I can just down. Yeah. And that's why I was pulling up so hard and just pushing down. And I wish like I have a strong deadlift and stuff. I wish I was doing circles. Yeah. And I think the circle circles too would have eliminated that, like the hot spot with torque yeah. and maybe made it a little bit more consistent and less likely to then bend something. But man, I switched my drivetrain completely. I switched spiders, everything, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, what's the strongest of everything that I could get? And then I switched over to That's that. one thing that in that video in particular, and Amber's mentioned this before, but when we talk about sprint exercises and or sprint training specifically, and if you're working on that, that's why you start out at a lower percentage. You don't go all out. You start out at like 80% sprints and you start out with fat, like low gear, high gear, and you do all those things to try to perfect that circle. Like you're talking about Nate, like having the coordination to be able to maintain tension on that chain and to be able to maintain power and torque all the way through that pedal stroke. And then later on, it gets easier to apply it later because boy, it's so easy to feel like I'm sprinting. If I'm just like pushing something downward with my feet and you see that with a ton of sprints, whereas like watch the Williams brothers sprint, it does, it never looks like they're bobbing up and down with their, when they're pushing down instead, it looks remarkably smooth for how much power they're putting out. And if you look at Cav, he's an incredible example of this too. It's always so smooth with their feet. It's just super it's smooth. Corinne Rivera, Rivera, also like one of the smoothest sprinters I've ever yeah. seen. So, okay, cool. Uh, a couple, now we'll actually get into some rapid fire ones. What's your favorite sneaker daily? This one's from <laughs> Zach. What's your favorite sneaker daily footwear when not on the bike? Can I just say sneakers? I like sneakers. <laughs> sneakers in general. <laughs> I have Nike yeah. Stefan Janoski's. Those are like my favorite ones. SB's. I yeah, like those see, too. I don't get that specific. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nike Kill Shots or that like kind of thing like that. I like. I like the brand Nike, and they always look good. So different color Nikes are super fun. cool brand. Yeah, love them. Yeah, mm-hmm. Hannah. I'm gonna go away from sneakers and say if I'm just like 
hanging out, Birkenstocks, and my travel shoe is Blundstones. Nice. Ufos are really comfortable too. They're like those slides that swimmers use a lot of the time. They're just gigantic and poofy and really comfortable. Slides are pretty sweet. Okay. Next one, possibly rapid fire, but possibly a silly question. I'm a road cyclist and cat four racer. This is from Felicity. I'm training myself to be able to do pull-ups because I'm ashamed of having no upper body strength. I've gone from being able to do about half a pull-up to two. Is there an amount that would be too many and potentially equate to a detrimental amount of upper body mass? If it helps, I'm five, seven and about 135 pounds. So this is not very rapid fire, but at the same time, I figured since we have, we can probably give a, a quick response. There's a strength training calculator you can use on trainer road. Uh, it's if you go to trainerroad.com and actually, if you just search trainer road, strength training calculator, that's probably easier than typing out the whole URL and you'll find it. And you can check there and they basically give like different strength recommendations for different exercises that are kind of just like benchmarks. Um, if you're wondering this question, how much strength is enough? Cause a lot of the time when you get into strength training, you're like, I need to be a meathead like this person at the gym. So I need to lift a ton of weight or I'm not doing it right. It's not the case. Uh, so there's like benchmarks for you there. Um, so that's a good calculator. We also have a, I don't think we've ever mentioned this on the podcast. We have a Watts per kilogram calculator. That's super helpful. That shows where you are compared to the averages that exist in our database. And then it also shows how that compares to pro athletes as well. Uh, it's really interesting. So check that out. And then you can also do like fun little things and like play around with, well, what if I had this FTP? What if I did this? Uh, and it will all be very fun and exciting. Then once we have things like FTP prediction, like Nate's talked about. So And there's more calculators coming. We have one for race day nutrition that we're working on pacing, gearing, uh, and any other ideas. If you have a calculator idea, let us know. We we like those things. So, but, uh, gals in particular with this one, uh, pull-ups importance. I don't know how, what would you say to Felicity in this case? N plus one, (laughs) (laughs) just get jacked, (laughs) whatever it is, do more. (laughs) It's yeah, not, I don't, they're never, never. Too yeah. <laughs> I definitely don't think you're going to, uh, overdo it with a body weight exercise, especially like pull-ups. I also think that pull-ups in particular, um, can almost be once again, more of a coordination exercise. A lot of people don't know how to engage their lats. And I feel like Amber probably knows this more than anybody else because can I tell you how many times at swim practice, we just sit there doing this, trying to feel our lat engage. And so, yeah, that's huge with pull-ups is just learning how to use that muscle in general. Hmm. Yeah. It's very, it's probably not the most crucial exercise in terms of cycling performance. If you're a mountain biker, it probably has more relevance than perhaps road. I don't know, but it's a great exercise for your just general health. Um, works on like a upward shoulder mobility, which is really limited for cyclists because we spend all of our time with our elbow or with our shoulders, our arms pointing down. So it can be a really helpful thing. Alana says, what is your, it gets harder. Oh, yeah. Well, I was gonna say, it gets harder as your quads get bigger. Just anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it, it might just, this might be a self-limiting <laughs> exercise. So you, I don't think you need to stress too much. My quads no. are just <laughs> muscles, leg muscles too big. Can't do pull-ups. Sorry. Um, Alana says, what is your favorite cycling life metaphor? Mine. And you guys have all heard this before, but be a good wheel. That's my favorite. It's a good one. I like it. Mine is a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step or one pedal <laughs> back to those process goals. Yeah. I love it. I like that. It, it, uh, it never gets easier. You just go faster. Yeah. The same thing in life. Like life doesn't get easier. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, it does not. 
Uh, I keep telling myself that every weekend and it just doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Monday comes it will again get, and here we yeah. go. <laughs> It'll get easier with the kids eventually. <laughs> That's actually, yeah, it wavers with the kids, right? And then once they become teenagers, yeah. who knows? Um, I would say I have a few, but I'd, I'd take repeatability over peak power any day. Uh, I don't care as much about like a peak as much as I care about my ability to be able to repeat things, fuel the work. Uh, that's much more than just eating 120 grams of an hour of carbs when you're on the bike. <laughs> it's also outside of that, making sure that you're giving yourself what you need to be able to do things. And then I got a quote, Keegan Swenson, uh, gotta be the right amount of dumb, uh, <laughs> By the way, Keegan yeah. has a lot of wonderful quotes. <laughs> but, That's a good one. But it's kind of true. Like, you know, it's really easy to overthink things, particularly for a lot of us, you know, type A endurance athletes. You just, you know. And being bold. So Keegan is bold in races yeah. where some people might be dumb. He's like, it's set 30% of the race. I'm just going to go solo. Yeah. And he does. And then he yeah. wins. And no one follows him because that's a dumb move. Why would you right. do that? It's uh, the right amount of dumb. It's dumb. And then they're like, but I'm national champ. So that's why. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing that I've noticed just on bikes and it's kind of taught me about life is that staying on the gas is always better than easing up. Like when you feel like you want to ease up and you coast whenever you do long rides like that. And if you just spend time, Oh, now I'm tired. I'm going to go hard. And then I'm just going to go easy, hard, easy. That's the great way to make that four hour ride an eight hour ride. Um, Instead, everything is just a little less painful if you just always kind of stay on the gas a little bit. You don't have to be sprinting all the time. You just have to be consistent, consistent effort, you know? And it makes a difference in life too. It's that consistent effort rather than sprinting and then blowing up. <laughs> but be all right, okay I want to add one. <laughs> I want to add one in German for our international listeners. Es gibt nur ein Gas, voll Gas, which is there is only one gas, full gas. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's a good one. Nate, you said something. I didn't. I didn't hear it there. Yes, but uh, so keep it on, but also let yourself rest. Yeah, because there's this mentality of always, especially Americans. I always have to go. And to that to that analogy, when you're doing the work, push through it. But then when you have your recovery, like recover for real and be okay resting and not being productive like and watching TikTok. <laughs> Full gas. Yeah. <laughs> Vincenzo. <laughs> Vincenzo asked Rapid Fire, what's your favorite grips and bar tape? I'm going lizard skins. Personal favorite. It's so sticky. It's like the sticky. For bar tape. Yeah. I love it. It's the best. Super Caz. Super Caz bar tape. I don't care about mountain bike grips. This is where I get to plug a sponsor because ESI Grips is supporting me this year. So ESI Grips, um, I use their Fit XC, which mm -hmm. is kind of, it's skinnier on the inside and wider on the outside. And I really like that because mm. I started noticing I had all these pictures of myself riding the mountain bike with my pinkies up, literally riding like this <laughs> on the mountain bike. So the pinkies were like, I was having a cup of tea <laughs> and that wider part on the outside of the grip actually allows my pinky to make contact with the grip, which is actually really important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knew? The things you can learn. Um, ODI Elite Pro, those are the ones that I like most for mountain bikes. They're not maybe the lightest, but I really like them. And yes, you can check out on my Instagram where I do nerdy things like take a razor blade to the waffle because I don't like waffling where my fingers are. So, um, yeah. I, have, 
I got those because of John. And John's like, you got to cut that waffling off. I'm like, dude, I can't feel the waffling. Like, I have gloves on. I have no clue it's there. I don't know how you're riding. Uh, yeah, yeah. If I, if I lived John's in the UK. like, you could barely look at it. <laughs> yeah, can't look upon it. If I lived in the UK and I rode in mud, I would keep it on. Because that's what waffling is for, is mud. But when you don't have mud, which we do not have mud here, it's different. And then S-Wrap HD, Specialized Bar Tape, is my favorite uh, bar tape. It's pretty thin. Um, I don't like thick, cushy bar tape. Um, in fact, I didn't have that at the bike store. So I put super cas on and I really dislike it. Um, but I like th- more thin bar tape. Um, I'm sure if I did longer rides, I would change my tone. Okay. Uh, Christopher wants to know our picks for men's and women's elite cyclocross world champs. I don't know if Nate, you've been following racing or anything like that. So yeah. Hannah. For me, I, I Pidcock and brand. Yeah. Especially cause. Vanderpool's not doing it. Van Ert's out as well. So, I mean, I don't know how you've, I don't know. Maybe Pickcock has a mechanical, but otherwise I don't see how he loses. And then Lucinda Brand, she's like, have you been watching these cross races? It's brutal how she's beating the field. It's like shark in the water. Like she just lets everybody cook and she lets them go off and take these wild flyers. And she just like sits there and watches them. And then with like three laps to go, two laps to go, she just starts like slowly turning up the burner. And then she finishes with like a 15 second lead, 30 second lead. It's crazy. She's just like, it looks like she is, uh, I guess you'd adapt the saying a woman amongst girls. Like it's, it's pretty crazy to see. You just feel like she's just playing with everybody out there. It's pretty cool. So she's a heck of an athlete. Uh, Ivy or sorry, Amber. I don't know if you have any differences there. I've been kind of checked out on the racing scene. So you're making me, you're giving me FOMO though. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds awesome. Yeah, she's an impressive, uh, racer. That one, uh, Brian says, why don't road riders use hydration packs? What is it about gravel road sa- surfaces that justifies them? It's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> Amber, what do you say? I, I have a couple thoughts, but I'm really curious to see what Hannah has to say about this. It's, I think it's less about the surfaces and it's more about the structure of the races. So in training on the road, there's tons of refill opportunities because you're on the road. So there's gas stations and drinking fountains. Uh, whereas when you're on gravel tra- uh, training, you're usually in the middle of nowhere and there's a lot fewer opportunities to refill bottles. And the same goes for racing, uh, road racing, you usually have a caravan or support vehicles behind you. Um, and the races are quite a bit shorter, so you don't need to carry as much water. Whereas in gravel, uh, you're self-supported and the distances are quite a bit longer. So you want to carry as much water as possible. And sometimes that's only possible with a hydration pack. So I don't know that that's my, that's my thought on it, but Hannah, what do you think? Yeah, 100%. That's the reason why in training, um, like you said, gas stations, you can refill anywhere on the road. I, if there's no gas stations, if I'm in a super desolate place where I'm riding road, I'll still wear a hydration pack. And I think that's fine. Like Amber said, it's not about the surface. It's about mm-hmm. the refill opportunity. And you just don't want to wear a hydration pack if you can fill up somewhere else because it's less efficient. It's slower. It's heavier. But if you don't have the option to refill, the slowest thing is to be dehydrated. So <laughs> yeah. <carry it>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. also plus you stop at gas stations. That means they also have like coconut crumb donuts and other delicious things that you can get mm. too. And hydration packs don't provide those. So that's just, you know, the way it goes. Correct. I thought of you, Nate, when I was cracked behind Keegan's wheel, completely exploding and blowing apart. And we went to a gas station. I got some coconut crumb donuts. So it's Nate's I thought you were going to be like, this is what Nate feels like when he's on my wheel. <laughs> so maybe I should be nicer to I him. I was so cracked. The first day of our training camp, he's like, oh, we're going to do Kit Peak. It's like 112 miles. You ride straight on a desert road. Like, I, seriously, it's like a straight desert road. 
for 45 miles. And then you do like a 5,000 foot climb up this mountain in the middle of nowhere. And then you turn around and you go straight back. <laughs> it's like just mental, like mentally excruciating. And it was headwindy and both ways, of course. And, oh, it was brutal. He, that sounds like a triathlete. Oh, he was, and he loves it. He was just like, you go straight, you go up, you go down, you go straight. It's perfect. <laughs> like, <laughs> Did you have problems staying his draft with a headwind? At the end? Yes, because I was coming unraveled. So because we, we, wow. we held, it was like uh, six hours, I think, total because of the wind. And for three hours, I was like, or for two and a half to three hours going out there, I was riding alongside him like an idiot. Um, but I was riding alongside him and we were holding like 230 to 250 and I was feeling fine. And then we got to the climb. That's the... That's the wrong amount yeah. of dumb. <laughs> Too much dumb. <laughs> yeah. And then the climb was really long, really consistent, didn't give me a chance to rest. And I started to nuke at the top of the climb. And it was 7,000 feet too, so really high elevation too. And I started to nuke and it was freezing cold and we descended. And that day I actually started to even cramp uh, because I think I, I hadn't done like a long ride like that. So I was getting cramp twinges and I was just dying behind him. Once I got the coconut crumb donuts though – you're great. So, uh, it was all good after that. I really, I think it was just the rest that my legs needed a little bit of a break. Cause it was like riding erg on the trainer for four hours at like high wattage, like 240 Watts for me for that long. It's pretty long. That's where you start to get into crack city. So, um, okay. Hannah, I want to talk about unbound gravel. So it's such a huge race. Everybody that it's kind of funny. So with this lifetime grand prix, which if those that don't know, this is a race series that is a gravel mountain bike race series here in the U S now with a bunch of big marquee events, including unbound gravel, Leadville and different ones we've talked about, uh, for the pros that made it into the selection and they have their own selection criteria upon which they selected all these athletes. You get to do all those races, but you get one throwaway race, right? And here's the thing. Everybody I've spoken to, they're like, my throwaway race is unbound. So if everybody's throwing away that one race, that, like in the end, it's all even, right? Um, how are you approaching it? Because I don't think you've done unbound before. Is that correct? It, it's going to be my bye. Yeah. Race. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> That's where we talk about biting off more than you can chew. I think if I'm racing World Cup XCOs, I need to limit my endurance racing to eight hours and not go for the unbound experience. Eight hours. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, unbound, I mean, 11 hours. I mean, depending if it's bad weather or if it's muddy, it's like it could extend by hours, you know? It's just so long. Yeah. And it's not so much about the day, you know? I think I think that I could physically go and do it. I think anyone on that list could. Mm -hmm. um, but it's about the recovery that it would take after, you know, you'd have to recover for such a long period of time that not only, you know, in that recovery, you're losing training when you're talking about some of these other events. So I would have to spend time recovering from unbound when I should be, or would want to be doing some different efforts for say the world cups later in the season. I wonder if they're going to have to wait the points that come from that event to get more people, more of the selected pro athletes to do it in coming years, because it is an outlier. I mean, the only one that's done it here is Amber. Um, and Amber, you crashed out of it, but you still, aside from the concussion, I'm sure you had extreme bodily fatigue from that event still. Right. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> to this day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's just brutal. Um, so, so are you when you say that's your buy? Are you skipping that event, or are you doing it and then you're just letting the result be what it is? I I'm skipping it. Nice. Yeah, I think I think it's gonna be a an all in mm-hmm. type of thing of just I'm not gonna touch it. I'm gonna put my energy somewhere else. If you yeah. There's no easy way to do that. <laughs> exactly. Just, yeah. Exactly. If you were going to do it, yeah. let's just assume hypothetically that you were, what would be your strategy? Like how would, uh, how would you execute on the day in particular? Like, do you even know, would you be that sit in and hope look for early breaks and hope that the, and that you have better odds there? Um, you know, I, I feel like I have really unique kind of way to approach some of these events. I think there are some givens, obviously you have to pace it, you know? So I think there's definitely, I would go in with specific, I will not exceed X amount of power, you know, at all kind of thing. Then obviously you want to be in a good group, but, um, for me, fueling would be my absolute number one focus. There is not, you know, sometimes in races, it's like, okay, I'm going to fuel every 30 minutes. And then if it's 35, I'm fine with it. I think in Unbound, I wouldn't trust myself. It would have to be on the button. Like I would have it so dialed in of exactly what I'm eating every minute because you cannot afford to bonk in that race. It's just not an option. And then beyond that, I find for me, going into those races, it's just about having an open mindset and having no expectation. Because the second I start expecting something to happen in these long races is where it can just all unravel. Mm -hmm. Because if you're at hour four and it's not going the way you expected, you have eight hours trying to pick up the pieces. If you go in with no expectation, it's a lot easier to adapt to everything thrown at you, including you might not feel good for five hours of that race and then still have a phenomenal performance when something clicks at mile 100. (laughs) Um, but if you give in to that feeling, it's just going to be one of the hardest days of your life. So I think just having a totally open mind and trying to resist every urge to have expectation would be my, yeah, my mindset going into it. I feel like with that race too, it's really in terms of endurance events, it has more injury coming out of that event than majority. And I think it's kind of sneaky that way because people think usually injury with technical courses or something like that. And that's how they tie it in. But with this one, I, I've talked to a lot of pro athletes that were really worried after that event, because I've got a knee problem. Now I've got a hip problem or I've got a back problem mm-hmm. or Amber in your case, a concussion, um, right? Like it's tough. Well, the, the interesting thing about my concussion was in the race, I didn't realize I was concussed. I didn't learn that till after the fact. The reason I stopped, I actually, I crashed at about 30 miles in and I didn't pull out until about 140 miles in. And the reason I pulled out of the race was because my knee hurt so bad. It wasn't mm-hmm. because I was concussed. And then the concussion symptoms were really clear a few days later, which was also scary. Um, so I kept going for a hundred miles and it was the knee pain that actually caused me to pull the plug. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, th- this is, uh, let's take some time to talk about concussions in particular and injuries. I think that it dovetails well with these, like, cause there are a lot of amateurs taken on this event too. And it's important to keep these things in mind. Right. Um, Hannah, this is mm-hmm. more or less like you, you, what were your degrees actually uh, in school? What did you study? 
Yeah, I have two degrees. Um, one is in exercise science, but then the other one that's really coming into play here is athletic training. So I'm a certified and licensed athletic trainer, which for those who don't know, that's a healthcare profession. We evaluate, prevent, and rehab injuries. So concussion is something that we're trained to um, evaluate. We're trained to help people return to play through it. We're trained, you know, we're athletic trainers are often the first person on the scene to to evaluate that concussion. Um, my professor actually that taught me a lot of this stuff in college, one of his kind of side gigs was he, I went to college in St. Louis and when the Rams were still in St. Louis, one of his jobs was he would be at the Rams games and sit in this special spot and watch for concussion mechanism. And then he would radio down to the field and say, Hey, I just saw this concussion mechanism. You need to evaluate this player. And so there's a lot of, um, a lot of strategies in place nowadays for concussion because we've learned that they're really complicated and it's really important to catch them. Yeah. What could you share on them um, with us, whether it's like coming into how to recognize them, like you talked about, or even how to treat them. And clearly you probably like, you know, the disclaimer that like, you know, she's not your doctor in this case, and it's good to work with a doctor, but still, what, what would you share with us? Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of scientific data that is always changing and evolving. Um, so I think what I'm trying to present is just the most common scientific thoughts behind it. So I think the first thing that can really help people change the way they view concussion is to understand that the root of the word concussion means to shake or to shake violently. That's the Latin root. So that means that concussion can happen from a direct or indirect blow to the head. Um, so that means you can be hit with something, like a ball can hit you. You can hit your head on something like the ground, or you can hit nothing, and you can just experience a violent shaking, so like whiplash or something like that. Um, and, you know, it, it's significant. It is concussion is considered a mild traumatic brain injury. And actually in 2009, we eliminated the grading of concussion. So that means they no longer, doctors still do because they think it helps people understand. But technically speaking, we no longer say, oh, you have a mild concussion. You're either concussed or you're not. So that means when we took away that grading in 2009, that means that all concussions should be treated equal once they're evaluated. And so that kind of gave us a better way to help people go through this process. So the other thing that's really important to understand with concussion is that concussion is, is it is a functional disturbance of the brain. It is not a structural disturbance to the brain. So what actually happens with concussion is your brain experiences an altered ionic balance and an altered metabolism. So the best analogy I've ever heard for this is it's like your brain is a snow globe and you shake it up and all of that snow goes everywhere and now it's fuzzy. Nothing in that snow globe is physically damaged. You don't see any damage but it's all kinds of confused. And so that's a great analogy for what's happening in your brain is concussion. And so that means it's not a bruise to the brain. If you opened up 
you know, your skull and looked at it, you probably wouldn't see anything. And that's why when we do, people say like, oh my gosh, you you might be concussed. You should go get an MRI. You should go get a CT scan. You're not going to see the concussion on those things. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go get one because when we get those imaging, it helps us rule out things like um, brain bleeds, you know, epidural, subdermal hemorrhages, which can show up immediately or days and weeks later if it's a slow bleed. So you should get evaluated. You should look for those things. But if you're wondering, do I have a concussion? An MRI is not that proof. You know, I'll hear people say, oh, I got an MRI. There was nothing there. So I'm fine. No, that, that doesn't mean that you're fine. Um, I also hear a lot, you know, you'll do the H sign. So follow the finger with your eyes. Oh my gosh, they didn't even do that. They didn't evaluate me for a concussion. You don't have to have eye tracking issues or nystagmus or pupillary issues to have a concussion. Those are just tools that we can use to help rule in or rule out. But if you're experiencing enough of the symptoms for concussion, then we might not even have to do that to already say you are concussed. So some of the symptoms for concussion, I just want to run through them really fast and highlight a few, is symptoms include headache, pressure in the head, neck pain, nausea, dizziness, blurred vision, balance, sensitivity to light, sensitivity to noise, feeling slowed down, feeling in a fog, just don't feel right, difficulty concentrating, difficulty remembering, fatigue or low energy, confusion, drowsiness, trouble falling asleep, more emotional, irritability, sadness, nervousness, and anxiousness. Um, I think a lot of those are very... Why are you laughing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got a blackout. I got 100% of yes, those. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And when you have 100% of them, it's like, boom, check mark, concussed, done, like hole in one. Um, but I think it can also be really confusing when you only have a few of them and you're still concussed in that case. And so some of the ones I want to point out, you know, balance, that's a great time when you should have a pre-exam. So there's a lot of ways that you can go and get a baseline for what your balance is because everyone's balance is different. You know, if you have trouble standing on one leg with your eyes closed, well, maybe you already had that. So that's a really good one where you want a baseline for it. Um, ones that you don't need a baseline, feeling in a fog and just don't feel right. Mm-hmm. Those are mm-hmm. two of my really favorite, if there are favorite symptoms, because that's what I hear more than anything. It's like, well, I don't, I don't know. I'm not really dizzy. Like I'm not, I'm not nauseous, but I just don't feel right. And I think that's really confusing for anyone who hasn't had a concussion. But when you've had one, you know what that means. Um, yeah. Amber, did you? Yeah, you probably have when something. You, yeah, I just want to share because that this is really resonating with me in, in my experience with the concussion that I had um, after Unbound. I had a lot of these symptoms early on. And then a lot of those symptoms went away, but the one that persisted was, I just don't feel right. And it was as an athlete who's trained myself to override a lot of those, you know, uncomfortable sensations and okay, I I feel uncomfortable. I just got to keep going to have that sensation of, I just don't feel right. It was really hard to, to stop and say, okay, I actually need to listen to this because it is very subtle. It's not like I have knee pain. I have shoulder pain my hand is in a splint, you know, it's not visible, it's not obvious, but it's so, so, so important to trust. And that was the interesting thing because that persisted for a long time. And it took me a while because 
you know, once the sensitivity to light went away, the sensitivity to noise, like the really obvious things went away. I, for a little while thought, oh, I'm good. But then I realized that actually I just don't feel right. And that was the thing that actually prompted me to go see a specialist. Um, Mm -hmm. And he validated that right away. He's like, that's the most common thing I hear is I just don't feel right, but it's a really, really important one. And I I love that you're, you're highlighting in a situation where you have, you aren't, uh, because uh, the irony of all this is when you're concussed, you might not even be in a spot to evaluate yourself to figure these things out, right? Um, yes. But there are some some real like signs that something is wrong. Uh, what would those be, Hannah? Yeah, um, yeah. I first I want to highlight that what you just said is when you have a concussion, you're not in a spot to evaluate yourself. And that's something, you know, I, I need to say for myself as well, because being trained in this, a lot of the time I'm like, check, 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 can't find. Um, but like in that list, you're more emotional and you're more irritable also, or can be when you have a concussion. In fact, when I worked with the football team, when we told a player they had a concussion, one of the first things we would do is we would take their helmet away. One, so they didn't try and sneak back in the game, but also because more than once, the players would get so frustrated that they would actually try and hit the person telling them they couldn't go back in the game with their helmet because they're just not in the right mind and they're frustrated. And so you can't you you can't try and evaluate yourself. You come up with excuses like, well, I have a headache. Well, I didn't have coffee this morning, so it's probably fine. Mm. Um, you need someone objectively to do that. So get evaluated. Um, even if it's just from the medic at the race, they can really help you know, is this an emergency? Is this not an emergency? And help you at least take that next step. If you don't, if you're like, hey, I know I'm concussed, you know, whatever. I don't want to go into whether or not you should go into the ER or into urgent care. That's a decision that you need to make on your own or with a medical professional. But reasons you should go to the ER for sure, I think, are a lot easier to state. And that's reasons to seek immediate medical attention in the ER is decreasing consciousness, increased confusion, increasing irritability, loss of consciousness, numbness in the extremities, repeated vomiting, unequal pupils, slurred speech, worsening headache, and if you cannot recognize people. And if you notice with most of these things, it's all about a change. So it's increasing or decreasing levels of alertness or symptoms. And that's often a sign of a brain bleed. It's because things are declining inside of you. And so you really want to be aware of that and be aware of it in the long term as well. Because like I said, some brain bleeds happen immediately. Some brain bleeds happen over the course of days and weeks. And so if this is occurring, don't don't write it off as like, that happened a week ago. That can't be this. It can be. So take it seriously. It's always really good to remind yourself to err on the side of caution with this too, because so first of all, you might just be super confused and think, you know, what's going on, but you don't. Uh, I remember at single track six when I came to, and I was on the middle of a bridge somewhere and I was like, I have no clue where I am. I have no clue what day it is. I have no clue what anything is. And then within, I don't know, some sort of time period after that, I was like, no, it's, it's Sunday. And I'm in Canada, so I'm fine. Like I got it dialed. And then I remember they asked me at the 10th, they were like, what day is it? Everything else. And I was like, it's Sunday. And they're like, it's Wednesday. And then they're like, <laughs> like, like I, I was certain that I was fine. I had rationalized myself out of it. I was like, 
yeah, I guess I don't remember anything before this, but I'm fine. Like we're just so far out of ourselves that even though we might recognize some of the, uh, some of these signs, the ones that are more serious, you might be tempted to rationalize yourself right out of assuming that you have a concussion or you've had enough experience with these that you may be able to recognize this as well. So regardless, it's always key to make sure that you're going to find medical personnel and work with them. But if you feel like you have one, don't second guess that just pursue that and, and go and talk to a medical professional. If you don't feel like you've had one, but you recognize any of these symptoms still pursue a medical professional. It's just worth it coming from a person that's had way too many of these. It's absolutely worth it. Nate. Yeah. John's had eight. eight. Yeah. It's a lot like too many, you know, over the course of whether it was motocross skiing and I guess bikes have only given me one that I know of. So, but it's, it's a lot. And they Uh, are, they are all different. So if you've had one concussion, you've had one concussion. It doesn't mean that the next one is going to present in the same way. It might feel completely different. Um, so if, if you are in doubt whatsoever, I think it's a, you know, it's safe to assume that you are and to seek, uh, medical attention just, just in Mm -hmm. case. When I had mine in the, the, at Cape Epic and the medic on the trail, which was so lucky to see one on the trail, right. Um, he did the, the eye test. And so it's, uh, Hannah's eye stagnus. Is that what it's called? When you look to the side and your eye oh, then, like tracks nystagmus, mm-hmm. when it kind of shakes on the side. Yep. That can also happen if someone is drunk. So I'm going to do this to my <laughs> yeah. kids as they come home at night, <laughs> uh, but the, <laughs> but yeah, so that shakes. And then they did the, the light in my pupils and they both reacted, but they, um, were very slow to react. And that was also another sign. Like they put the light in and then it would wait and then it would go in rather than normally it would just go down. So then they would check me in the ambulance to what Hannah said. They kept checking the same things to see what, um, if things were getting worse. And then the person would keep talking to me to see if I would like, I knew she was doing this to, I was aware enough for that, but to see if like I started, she would ask me things about my home and that sort of stuff, but in a regular conversation. So not to alarm me just to see like, is this person have a brain bleed and he, is he progressively getting worse? Um, but anyways, what you said, like, if you're not a medical professional, just get your friend to a doctor. Uh, it's way better than like you trying to be like, oh, they're probably okay. They remember this stuff. Uh, for sure. I'm glad that you mentioned that as well. If you were aware that it was happening, um, is another thing is concentration in that list is some of the tests we do, it, uh, would be say the months of the year backwards starting in August. So pick a random point and go backwards or count backwards from a hundred by seven. So 193, blah, blah, blah. It's not about how fast you can do it. It's about, can you concentrate enough to make it happen? So I've experienced giving people these tests where their response is, oh, I can't do this when I'm, when I'm not concussed. Great. I don't care how long it takes. You can do it on your fingers. Can you do it? No, I can't. I, I, I can't do that even when I'm lucid. It's like, well, can you concentrate? And, and a lot of the time with someone who's concussed, they're not willing to give that effort. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I just want to point that out because it's not about how fast you can do some of these things. Um, it's about if you're willing to make, to give that concentration, to put that out in your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say about one of the symptoms that I please am <laughs> John, that I. I think we've got a lag today. <laughs> There's What's going something on? going I'm on. I'm just going to stop. <laughs> Go ahead, Amber. <laughs> 
One of the weird things that I had happen was um, after I went to see a specialist, we started doing some testing and we actually looked at my reading comprehension, which was um, a lot worse than I thought it was. And they were asking me if I had been avoiding reading. And I was like, no, definitely not. But then they asked how much I'd read in the past few months. And without being aware of it, I had avoided reading because it had become really difficult to track a straight line across without dropping down lines at the end of it. And I was having to reread the same line over and over again in order to comprehend what it was that was being that was on the page. I, I wasn't aware that that was happening until somebody pointed it out to me. And I stepped back and thought, whoa, actually, I devour books most of the time, but I haven't touched one. I haven't even looked at magazines in several months now, and it hadn't even occurred to me. Interesting. What about returning back to like training or back to just back to activity and sport? Yeah, I think that's where, you know, erring on the side of caution is always the right answer. So the first thing I want to bring up is not to scare you, but it's also to scare you into making the right decision is, you know, the thing that medical professionals are often most afraid of when allowing someone to return to sport is something called second impact syndrome. And so this happens when you experience one concussive blow, and then before those symptoms are gone, you experience another concussive blow. And what can happen in that case is things get so confused in your brain that essentially, without going into it, it's almost like the wires get crossed and your brain doesn't know what to do, and things start dilating and constricting to the point that your brain you have diffuse cerebral swelling. And so your brain in this circumstance could just start swelling uncontrollably to the point where you don't make it through the event. Mm -hmm. Um, You die. And so this really can be a life or death situation. And when we're talking about, you know, something like football, yeah, okay, definitely don't go back in because you are going to get hit again. When something you talk about something like cycling, people get a little, you know, they're willing to risk it more because like, oh, what are the odds that I'll crash again? Well, they're a lot higher since you have a concussion because mm. your balance is compromised, your focus is compromised, your emotions are compromised. So the decisions that you're making now are worse than they would be normally. So if your chance of crashing on the bike, you know, is normally whatever amount, it's now higher because whether you're on the mountain bike and you're not tracking the trail or whether you're on the road and you're crossing someone's wheel because you're just not in it, you are increasing your risk and that risk can literally be life or death. So that is one reason that you need to be cautious returning to sport. And there's a whole protocol that, um, I'd like to briefly run through, but before that, I also want to talk about something called post concussion syndrome, which, um, is a pretty common, uh, something, something that people talk about commonly. I've heard recently that they're trying to get rid of that language and just call it concussion with prolonged symptoms, um, to help get rid of some of the stigma around the word syndrome. But regardless is, If you push a concussion, it can prolong the time that it takes to recover. And in the moment, it can feel like, I mean, gosh, Nate, like I traveled all the way to South Africa. Like, I really just want to finish this race. I can, I'll be fine. I can experience it. I can experience these symptoms a little bit longer. 
like, thank goodness you made the right decision and pulled out because no one knows what a little bit longer Mm -hmm. is in these situations. It can be months, it can be years, and everyone's experience is going to be a little bit different as well. That's why it's a syndrome, because we don't know all of the surrounding events. You know, depression is often associated with concussion, um, things that can be really hard to live with on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, and, and all that to say also is post-concussion syndrome doesn't only happen when you push a, push a concussion. It can happen just in general for unlucky circumstances, but you're certainly not helping your odds if you're pushing yourself. Um, and, you know, I think there's also a lot of statistics about, you know, if you experience a concussion, you're more likely to experience another concussion and all of those things. And there's honestly, we don't know all of, all of the information behind that. And, and quite frankly, that's more of the reason to be cautious. So, um, all of that to be said, kind of the seven day, um, there's a seven day return to play guidelines that's pretty widely used. And so the first thing I want to say is there's a lot of science that goes into this. And now they're saying some smaller things, uh, some things like you can get back to some small cognitive tasks earlier, or you can exercise very lightly earlier. And they've shown that some of these very easy things can actually help with recovery. I only recommend doing that if you're under the care of a medical professional and physician, because what we view as light is very different <laughs> most of the you time. Threshold than what a medical professional. <laughs> VO2 was only light. there's exactly. 30 30s. It wasn't five minute VO2. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that's why like I'm hesitant to even say that, but I know so many people listen to this podcast that I feel like I should just say it so that someone doesn't raise their hand and say, actually now the science, yes, I'm aware, but I think caution is always better. Mm-hmm. Um, so that to be said, the seven day standard return to play is that Each day, you can progress to the next activity if you don't have any symptoms with that activity. If you do have symptoms with that activity, you go back to the previous one until you don't have symptoms. So that means from the moment you get a concussion until the time you can return back to full activity is pretty much a week um, standard. If you don't have any back, if you don't have to go backwards at all, if you're asymptomatic the next day. So that's like best case scenario. So it's best usually when you get a concussion to just let go of your plans and to be aware that they're going to be fluctuating, changing. So the first day after a concussion, nothing. You're just resting. You're just letting your body heal itself. If you feel good, if you don't have symptoms, next day you can do light aerobic activity. So they classify that as less than 75% of max heart rate. I like to put this in a cycling terms of you can spin on the trainer with little to no resistance. So just keep it super easy, spin on the trainer, move your body. If you have no symptoms, the next day you can do non-contact activity or activity in which excuse me, in which you don't have any risk of contact. So I consider that to still be on the trainer. And But now you can do a little bit more work. You can do a harder trainer ride. You can get your heart rate going. You can get your body moving. Day four, you can do sport with others that's still mostly non-contact. So I consider that going out and you're riding with a friend. Something could happen, but it probably won't. 
you're forcing your brain to think, you're maybe doing some like pace line work or something like that with a friend. Day five is considered unrestricted. So I would put that as a spirited group ride. This is where there is risk involved, but maybe there's no prize where you're wanting to risk it. And then day six is full return to play. So that's when I think you could finally return back to the start line uh, if you feel ready to. Once again, if you have symptoms on that, you go back a day. So just because you have this list doesn't mean, okay, I raced on Saturday. Next weekend, my race is on Sunday, so I'm good to go. Mm. That's only if every single step works out perfectly, which I hope it does. Um, but just please be very cautious. It's three months later for me, and I still have symptoms. Mm-hmm. Just to know. So that some, some people might be like, it's a week. Ah, Hannah said in seven days, I can race mm-hmm. next week's crit. Um, but this is, Hannah, you said this is only if you have no symptoms, correct? Right. This is each, each one that you progress to, you're asking yourself. You know, I think the biggest thing is usually when you start incorporating the activity. So when you go from, I'm doing nothing, I feel fine. Now I'm going to ride the trainer. I, it definitely inspires symptoms. You get that heart rate up and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, the room is spinning. Nope, you're done. You go back a step. Um, and you don't get to progress until you don't have symptoms. Yeah. I've never had seven days recovery from, from a concussion. It's, it takes a long time, uh, to get and And like Amber said, they're always different. Uh, there were times with one of them, I think I went like uh, a year or two where I was extremely sensitive to light changes. Like it was, if somebody turned out the lights, I'd be like, okay, for 10 minutes, I'm just going to live in pure darkness. Like, well, you know, and it took so long to be able to adapt. And then I've had other ones where just extremely uh, emotional thereafter, uh, whether it was experiencing high highs and low lows, but I had no control over emotions they're just always different. And this, and I'm going to reinforce what Hannah said when she says next day, she's saying next day after you get to the point where you have accomplished that step in this seven day to return to, to, to performance, like protocol that we have there. Um, so this is, uh, you just have to take time and really like what you said of throw your plans out the window because your health matters more than whatever plans you had for sport for sure. This is uh, fantastic information that, that you share with us, Hannah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, this is something that all cyclists should think about. Some per- people might be listening to this and be like, oh, I'm scared about cycling, but Hey, like this is something that all sports deal with. If you are, a, a, in a sport that involves your body moving at any rate of speed or possibly coming into contact with something else, this is what we all deal with. We just have not known a whole lot about that over the years. And now we're learning more and more. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, um, I hope that everybody feels like, Hey, I have some helpful information now to deal with this very real risk that I face in many aspects of my life, because that's probably the case for everybody listening to this and to many that aren't. So Hannah, you're raising our bar. Thank you. It's awesome to have you. <laughs> Hannah. Yeah. You're, that was awesome. I was thinking that during so Hannah. We're lucky to have you here. That was a really cool yeah. segment. Oh, thank you. It's something Very I'm really passionate so. about. So thanks for allowing me to share my passion. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, for everybody that joined us on this episode, thank you so much. Uh, it's been fun. Nate, thank you for uh, keeping it fun and exciting as you always do. <laughs> 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 and I, I hope when you listen to that stuff that you're like, I want to go check out what Trainer Road does because you need to go to trainerroad.com and go and sign up. It will make you faster. That's our guarantee. If it doesn't, we'll give you your money back. 
that's what we stand behind. So, and Amber's awesome team is building super cool stuff. So we appreciate all of you share this podcast with other cyclists. That's probably one of the best things you can do to help, uh, get other cyclists to figure out about this podcast so they can get faster too. And then, uh, follow trainer road on Instagram, YouTube, all the other things. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks everybody. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye. -bye.